Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey guys, we got an ad. It's from SuperYaki.com. If you haven't been there yet, you really should go. It's this really cool website. You can go there. They have shirts for really great movies, also bad movies. But, you know, the movies that film Twitter says you shouldn't like. But they're a bunch of idiots because, of course, you like National Treasure. Of course, you think Judy Greer is awesome. Of course, you want pins with Sofia Coppola, which I think is down okay with film Twitter. And also Jordan Peele, definitely okay with film Twitter. Go to superyaki.com and buy your shit. I know Phil has a bunch of stuff from superyaki.com. I have a bunch of shirts. I've got a I've got a written and directed by Ryan Johnson shirt because I'm obviously a big uh, Last Jedi fan. Uh, they got great Crimson uh, Crimson Peak shirts, which is a fucking great movie that nobody talks about nearly enough. Uh, their shirts are really soft. They're eco friendly, water based inks. They ship with compostable poly mailers for environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. Uh, it's a great website. They're a great company. Uh, Karen Hahn, past and future guest, is uh, has a couple shirts that she's done with them as well, which is fantastic. Um, and as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERFRIEND, all caps, no spaces, that's SUPERFRIEND at checkout. Can you believe this? You listen to our podcast and you get 10% off shirts and sweatshirts and pins and bags yep. from superyaki.com. This is a win-win yep. win for everybody. And we get none of that. Zero. <laughs> Um, it's super yaki. That's S U P E R Y A K I dot com. See you at the movies. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine. Podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the music of 1999, 
rallying around the family with a pocket full of shells here in 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today is Rich Monahan. He's a writer and he, uh, he's clearly a Rage super fan, like myself. We are Hello. doing Rage Against the Machine. Um, it's yeah, the the easily, easily the only good, the only good band of 1999. Unfortunately, I quoted a song from 1996, but there aren't a lot of places in Battle of Los Angeles quite as evocative as rolling around the family with bucket with a with a oh. pocket full of shells. Um, Rich, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for inviting me to come with it now. Come with it now. <laughs> come on. <laughs> so it's gonna be crazy because the thing is oh like my. all right rage against machine rich i've never seen you? kenny this kenny you've never been this pumped up for an episode I've you know seen. it's so like, it's like just, it's crazy because like i i didn't think i would be this pumped like i i love rage against machine rage against machine actually holds a very like a very tender place in my heart and i'll get into it as the episode goes on it's not just another band for me um but it didn't occur to I don't love the music episodes we do, and it didn't occur to me how like excited I would be until I until Rich, you sent a a email to Phil. Yeah. Uh with I believe it was every video they ever produced on there. And from the moment I popped in Freedom, um it just came right back to me. You know, you start dancing, you start jumping, you start, you start getting excited. And then it was it, by by the time I was on the Battle of Los Angeles songs, uh, I just lost my shit because the battle, the, the three Battle of Los Angeles uh, videos yeah. are three of the finest pieces of of, of filmed entertainment, filmed, uh, you know, a film thesis I've ever seen. So it's the they're the best. I, I we're gonna do like we're gonna get to their space and uh, the place in American history and all that shit, or the history of American music. But like from a very emotional, visceral, gut level, I fucking love this band. <laughs> How do you feel, Rich? Yeah, in the same way too. There's so many bands that like in the years since I try to revisit like that I loved as a kid, and it's just sort of like ooh, like this is gonna be clunky or embarrassing. Like mm-hmm. the Chili Peppers, I don't know about this. I yeah. was 13. Ooh. Um, and I'm reminded too. There's this the great anti rage, truly. And uh, Sean O'Connor had this great tweet from like 10 years ago, but I never forgot it. Which was like, if you like 311, you will love any other band. <laughs> which is a perfect joke. And I think about that all the time, <laughs> revisiting bands. Um, but there's I'm so happy about- Sean O'Connor was quoted on our podcast Always. because where is that guy? <laughs> I like. Yeah. He was like somewhere. ten years in my life. He was he, my muse. Oh yeah, he's just somewhere out there, just listening to Rage at this very moment. I hope. So brilliant, that guy, Sean O'Connor, um, late of the AV Club. Truly, but yeah, and so with that in mind, though, in the same way, anytime I go back and revisit Rage, it is just undeniable. It hits me in the same exact way. I'm like this. You you would think this would age way more poorly than it does, yeah. but it just feels yeah. so genuine. Or I'm just a super fan. I don't know. Do you think that, and and I'm just, for, for our listeners, I don't know Rage very well, so I'm going to be asking more questions than anything just because I'm, you know, obviously very interested in this band, but was not into them at the time. Do you think that part of it is there is a timelessness to the genre blending that, that like, they don't fit easily in a box in the way that a lot of other bands 
perhaps do. Does that add to their longevity? And also the fact that they didn't have that much of an output to a certain degree, like that it was crystallized and then done? I'm asking. I don't know. Yeah, I would. I'm not afraid of Phil. I'll go after that question. (laughs) <laughs> let me take not, a quick diplomatic shot <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be nice about that <laughs> I, i'm not i mean i'm not coming at you i'm no, genuinely curious I, I think it's because yeah i think there was they were unprecedented in a lot of ways when they came on the scene like obviously you could see their influences in there and then they get sort of um burdened with this idea that they influence a lot of terrible bands that came behind them but yeah phil to your point they its own sound and it's so immediately well-developed and defined. And then, you know, by less than a decade, they're calling it quits and nothing. We think that like people have passed the torch in this way, especially like such a political rock band, but have we in the way that rage was that? So yeah, it's just a weird. There's, there's one, Mm. there's one I'll get to later in the episode. That's not really rock, but there, I, I believe that run the jewels is there their forebears right like i believe run the jewels is picked up where they left off but that's the list um tribe kind of was doing it at the same time and tribe had an album like three or four years ago that was really political and and kind of zeitgeisty as well but in terms of rage's music what uh rich you hit on it when you said something the effect of how pure and sincere it is there is nothing cynical about what they're doing and what rap rock became, which is uh, – this is undeniably rap rock. It is uh, – as upsetting as that term is and de- depressing of the people who wound up doing it in the, the late 90s and the kind of <laughs> garbage they put out, that's what this is. Um, and they, and they're, they're, they're the first mainstream band to really put this idea out there. You know, I, you, you, you can talk about the Run DMC Aerosmith thing, but that's, that's a novelty song. Um, so every other rap rock band, for the most part, at least has some element of cynicism, some element of, of trying to capture the zeitgeist or trying to incite people or trying to just break stuff for the sake of breaking stuff a la Limp Bizkit. This is not rap rock because it's loud or because it sells or because it's what crazy little 18-year-old boys want. This is, this is the loudest possible angriest music because that's what they're feeling and it's so fucking cool like so that's i think that's i think that's that's the reason it's timeless not even the message of it but the purity of it like the the it makes no sense that what is almost objectively the worst genre to ever come out of american music also also is home to the best band to ever come out of American music. And this band consistently played on festival bills between terrible bands like Limp Bizkit and Korn and like the best of the shitty breeds like Linkin Park. Well, it's fine, but cynical. To to that point, uh, I read an article where, and and we at some point, you know, should probably do a a Woodstock 99 episode, but they were sandwiched literally between Limp Bizkit and Metallica, like in the set list. And you're just like, hey, all right. <laughs> like it's, 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 Limp Bizkit's just depressing. And I would, I would argue that at that point, Metallica was pretty depressing as well. But they're just better. They rise above all of that stuff in a way that is, I don't know. 
they, they, Rich, they, how do you they, feel about those two particular bands? The um, other two, I, I mean, it's easy to say Limp Bizkit is shit, but like just kind of from a more, you know, analytical point. Sure, of view. yeah. Even at the time, I was more of like a, you know, by like ninety three to ninety nine. This whole period is very much when I'm just a crazy grunge head. I love Rage. I love the Beastie Boys. So I always consider those a bit their contemporaries too, even before because like once Limp Bizkit hit by like ninety seven, ninety eight, or at least that's when they hit my town in Jersey. I was just like, I'm not with this Metallica I never loved. But yet, to all that, I think that like part of it is that like Rage is taking bands they love, Public Enemy and The Clash, and combining that to make their sound. And the Limp Biscuits and uh, the Corns of the World or whoever follows them are just taking Rage <laughs> and like trying to yeah. synthesize that into something, something with Adidas, I guess, is kind of their plan on that. Well, it's, I mean, I don't know a, a ton about rap rock. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but I do like. You're better I look for at it, some, yeah, I, I like to think so. But if you look at like, if you look at the grunge movement, right, and you say Nirvana and, and Pearl Jam and, and several other bands are sort of the best version of that, after that, you get a whole bunch of copies and shitty copies, right? So, did Limp Biscuit and Corn and POD and all these ba- like did they think that they were doing what Rage was doing? Like, I, I, I just, I, or was it just, was it just a superficial sort of like we're taking this vibe and we're running with it? Because those bands don't seem political to me. I mean, Corn and Limp Biscuit, they're, they're, I don't know. If there's much of a political statement behind some those are. Bands. I mean, okay. some are. You know, like Papa Roaches, right? Like. Sure, sure. Uh, it, they, yes, the answer is yes. Like, they did think that they were doing the same thing. Like, it's hard to engage with the message of most Rage songs. They're confrontational. And oh, yeah. if you, people are only really recognizing, uh, people, white people are only recognizing their privilege right now in a, in a kind of, you know, mass way, right? right. It's hard for... 14-year-old suburban white kids to watch the Freedom video and realize, oh, I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution. You know, instead of just kind of thinking, okay, political, political, and Papa Roach makes it about anti-suicide, which is easy. Like, it's great, but no one like, no one's pro-suicide. Well, some 90s you know, bands so- had a weird suicide stance. But- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, did, in 99, so I guess maybe, where are you in 99? And... How does rage come into your life, I guess, to some degree? Oh, Jesus, I fucking love this show. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, well, first of all, I have some thoughts. Are we going to come back to the sort of rap metal, new metal stuff, too? Because I have some yeah. theories about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool, cool. Okay, so 1999, um, when Battle of Los Angeles hits, I am, I've seen rage, I think, twice that year alone. I'm a huge fan. I'm a kid in a small suburban slash rural town in New Jersey, um, playing guitar, hanging out with like burnout friends. But it's a sort of town too, where like, there's no, there's no like proto hipsters there. You're either kind of like a kid who plays basketball and likes rap music or a kid who plays basketball and likes rock music and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so I first discovered them in 1993. I remember being at, I was at this kid, a friend's house who is very Italian from New York and became eventually a state trooper mm-hmm. <laughs> as they do and i think his dad at the time was in organized crime i'm so serious <laughs> so it's us this is how a big attempt this band could find in suburbia it was us and our best friend who was this black kid 
just the three of us listening to this one day. And I think it was, it was literally, I remember the song it was take the power back. And it was like the one band that all three of us look at each other. They're like, what is happening? This is the most incredible thing yeah. that I've ever experienced. <laughs> and there's just nothing like the first time you hear those sounds. And just like Zach is objectively the coolest rock star you can ever see. It's just like, oh my God. So yeah, so so what I'm, is I, how how's your origin stories? Where do you guys intersect with them? And Phil, does it ever hit Canada? So I all right. You're the best, by the way. Because I was gonna I was gonna do something I've never done on the pod and and do that for me. Yes. Because like I because I, I actually three like, pages oh, of notes, guys. It's good. Well, I mean, clearly, like I, I it, it's it's re- I'm, I'm realizing just how influenced by rage I was in my childhood. So rage comes out. Rage breaks through in I believe '93, right, with their self-titled album "Rage Against the Machine." Rage Against the Machine had the one big. Uh, the one big MTV song, which was Freedom, but the big song off that was Killing in the Name of. That's right? the first and song I, I heard of theirs. Yeah. And I remember it, around this time being just an MTV obsessive, right? And it didn't matter what they what they gave me. So like my my like CD collection had like Dr. Dre next to like Amy Grant, right? It was whatever <laughs> they were feeding me, I was eating. So I remember. There was this moment where, like, Rage Against the Machine and Danzig put out an album at the same time. You remember? Yeah, the mother, yeah. And I was just like, who are these fucking guys? <laughs> I'm like, what is happening to my television? <laughs> then, so, so somehow, like, all my, you know, my friends, we just had that same thing you did. Now, we're 11 at the time, right? But we're getting radicalized. And Killing in the Name of is like... It's it's like ten levels beyond the last thing we did, which was Nirvana. Like it was Nirvana. Like we were all down with Nirvana. We were all down with Pearl Jam. And like Nirvana is transgressive, but you really have to get into it for the most part. Like Nirvana. Like I was in bands in like fifth grade and sixth grade. If you're playing a Nirvana song and you're not Kurt Cobain, like they're slow and they're so uh, or they're repetitive. Like it's not that thrilling to play a Nirvana song with a band. So all right, so. Nirvana's transgressive, but like the, the but Nirvana's a little, you know, ultimately boring to play as a musician. And Nirvana's a little, uh, it's it's something that you kind of get a little more when you're a little older. And you know, I, obviously, I love Pearl Jam. We'll always love Pearl Jam, but Pearl Jam is basically the Billy Joel of grunge music. So it's like it's very easy to latch on to Pearl Jam. So Rage basically kicked my ass and and um and kind of radicalized me in a way to the point where I remember in 97 or eight and Phil, you won't remember this because you were in Canada, but rich, you might remember this at my suburban high school in Chappaqua, New York. We did a fucking walkout for Mumia. Did you too? No, but I almost wore my Mumia rage show benefit shirt to this podcast. I was like, that's a little much. I'm so glad you said that. But we all walked out, and it's because Rage put him at the forefront. Like, every kid walked out. Kids whose dads were cops walked out. So, like, and, you know, so so Rage was all about everything. And then two, a few personal stories about Rage here. Rage is the reason me and my best friend Jason became best friends. Jason is a completely non-political, you know, if he has any political leadings, it's burn it all down. 
Um, but we just kind of just got into rage together. We made a we made videos in high school for like class, but we were very funny about them, and we wanted to score it with rage. In my class, I was with this guy named Bill Gerard. Bill couldn't have been a bigger square, and I mean that with all you know, with 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 all love. Bill Bill wore Bill wore like Oxford shirts and sweaters to school, tucked in. Uh, he had a very deep voice. He was like he was like he was he was ready to go be a professor. Um, I will never forget when I the movie was about someone kidnapping our dog, and we went to go get the dog back. This is a movie we made in high school. Yeah, and it, it was going to be a big build, and I'm like, all right, well, here, me and Bill were making the movie together. And I said, Bill, here is where the rage kicks in, and he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like the ra-? I'm like, he we rage. We put killing in the name of. He's like, oh, you mean Rage Against the Machine? I love Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> you know, little did I know this guy is like a fucking proto Marxist, and that's how I realized like, he's the most left. He, he, he like he he radicalized me even further. So Bill, this like. This, this this guy who you think would come out of the fucking federal society is a fucking proto Marxist, and we have we have killing in the name of on that. Then, furthermore, so Rage is my favorite favorite fucking band of the world. Going into college, I go to college in two thousand. I get set up with this roommate named Giridar Nandipati, this guy from uh, Virginia. He uh, is like this skinny Indian kid, like typical guy. You you know you you meet. He's in the engineering school. I'm like, what are we gonna have in common? We talk on the phone. Turns out, favorite band is Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> Bringing people together. It's, I'm not kidding. So this kid's favorite band is Rage Against the Machine. We spent our whole first semester senior year watching Testify, talking about how we're going to vote for Nader. Like, all this shit, right? <laughs> and then my last... We to talk about that. My last Rage memory is I was then in a band in, in junior and senior year with Super Age and Alan Haldeman. And we played, uh, we were like kind of the campus band. So we were playing like the campus bar every Sunday night and we played killing the name of, which is not like what you would play at the time. At the time, this was like, this is in the throes of jam bands, right? In the throes of like, and don't get me wrong. We were playing fish songs. We're playing dead songs. We're playing fucking rusted root, but we prided ourselves on being able to, being able to play anything. So we would play devil games out to George, went down to George. We would play, we would play Lose Yourself. We would play fucking um, <laughs> Cry Me a River. But like our biggest song was Killing in the Name of. And we played at our spring fling <laughs> in front of like 5,000 people in the middle of the quad yelling, fuck you. You can't do what you tell me. I, I won't do what you tell me. Over and over and over oh again. Uh, and I, I can't believe it happened. Like it's the most thrilling thing. So, so more than any artist or piece of art or anything, Rage is the most formative art experience of my entire life. <laughs> yes, it mean they mean more to me on a heart level than any other band, any other band or actor or director or parent. Anything. <laughs> so that is my that is my history with Rage Against the Machine, which I think will come as a surprise to people who listen to this podcast. You normally hear me talk about how much I love musical theater and professional wrestling, but Rage Against the Machine also falls into that because there's something fucking pure about these things. That's my whole rant. I love it. Thank you for that. Yeah, I. Oh, you got it. it no, in that same. Way, I, I mean, okay. no, yeah, Phil, please, no, because I like. Are they even on much music? What is your experience in the '90s? I, I mean. He, 
my experience with the band honestly is very limited. I, you know, I remember uh, their first album coming out, or I remember someone playing me "Killing in the Name of." I, I, I might have even owned the CD. I'm not sure. Let's be real. Um, they scared me. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't really get it. Um, I, I, they, they were, they are very aggressive, um, and I think that I just, I didn't latch on to. Um, their influences. I just, I think I found the whole thing just very sort of, for my brain, chaotic. And um, I, as Kenny knows, although Kenny and I have a lot of music in common, um, I do think that this certainly falls into more of the Kenny bucket than it does the Phil bucket. Um, and I, I think part of that just has to do with the fact that I just didn't really know what to make of it. Um, and at the time, which, you know, this, this album comes out in 99, you said 93 was when their first album came out. Late 92. So yeah, 93, it hits the suburbs. 92, 93, you know, I'm 13 years old and I was just sort of, I didn't even, if I'm being perfectly honest, the grunge movement, like the really hard stuff, even Nirvana to a certain degree, as much as I love them, I I didn't totally latch onto. And when we, when we do our top five American bands, I think I'll, you guys will have a better sense of the stuff that I was listening to when I was younger, but it's listening to this album and and watching the videos that you sent uh, us, Rich. I I I really found myself sort of like, how can you not feel that beat and that that rhythm and like you you can't not bob your head to this music. Like it's it is so rhythmic, even in its aggression. Like it, it's it's still hooky music. Like it's still kind of poppy in its own not poppy way. It absolutely um, is. It absolutely yeah. is. That Tom so, Rose, I mean, Tom yeah. Rose is a genius in that in that way, like for sure. And, yeah. And by the way, I have, I I have some quibbles with Rage mus- musically. Like every song is the same. What? <laughs> yeah. There's like they use the same like they're in the neighborhood of the same four or five frets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they drop D. They play only like cup three or four of the strings at any given moment, and it is this something just so powerful i don't understand it because so many the, the, the same five hits are the same like couple notes just inverted and, and it's just like like freedom is testify yes. is killing in the name of but what's the fucking difference they're all incredible so so that 100 percent structurally they're the exact same soft 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 build up to a chorus repeat the same thing over and over and over again um, some kind of uh, decrescendo and then build it back up. Every song with the exception of like nothing. I mean, exception of some things that they covered, but every song is the exact same. There's a reason for that, I think. This Rage, Rage, musically speaking, is kind of the clash and public enemy, right? Like you said, right. married. The clash and public enemy also are pretty musically simplistic bands go back a step further public enemies protest music the clash is protest music right go back to woody guthrie protest protest music we're talking about simple songs with really powerful messages and i think that there's a lot of power in sleep now in the fire over and over and over again, rage over and over and over again. I mean, I think is it sleep now in the fire where uh, 
where where they just go ignite, ignite, ignite in the background. Things like that. Just get it in your head. Get it in your head. You what's the point of being overly wordy, overly, you know, complicated when you're trying to get a simple message across in every song? So I think they did the, that they do an, it's an incredible delivery dev- device. Uh, yeah, I think song structurally are also similar, but they also have such a simple but incredible sense of drama. Just the way like oh, uh, yeah. a guitar will drop out and it's just this, or it's a anger is a gift no, 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 or whatever, no, no, no. or just when the climax comes mm-hmm. back or it's just the wah and bullseye. Just so many moments of that band where you just, you, you know, I'm 38 and sitting in Silver Lake uh, on my patio and I still feel like I'm in a pit in 97 and it's about to explode. <laughs> Like how? Who else can yeah. do that to you? I couldn't believe my the, like just running through. I mean, I, I listened to Rage probably four hours. I wrote while I was listening to Rage, and like, um, the way it fucking gets me going. Oh I worked out with them this morning. They just like they're that, and that's like that's the. Of course, we're going to talk about the Paul Ryan thing of it. But like, one thing I want to say before that is one interesting thing with Rage that. I might be totally wrong on, but I don't think I am. Most bands or pieces of art, we see this over and over and over again in 99, uh, that are uh, that are very aggro. Fight Club, Matrix, these kind of things that are very aggro. Go back, Goodfellas, things like that. Get co-opted by horrible people um, who don't understand what's happening. That doesn't happen so much with Rage. Like the Paul Ryan thing was so weird because I, I'd never had heard anybody like, like misunderstand this band that's name is Rage Against the Machine so, so epically because for the well, most part, Rage Against the Machine fans get what they're doing. Well, I was just going to say like, and I, I say this with no derision, but like they're not a subtle band. Like no. for you to for you to listen to this music and completely ignore what their thesis statement is, which is as <laughs> as subtle as a sledgehammer, is kind of incredible. Like Paul Ryan is just like locking into it in a way that is well, the antithesis I would say, of what they're trying to do. It's crazy. Let me tell you about my town in the nineties. <laughs> let me fill in some blanks around here. <laughs> And I also think, too, is that, like, just sort of uh, aggression is a great way to consider it, especially by the late 90s, because I always like to just think about this band in the context of mainstream 80s MTV rock music is very cock rock, arena rock, hair band sort of stuff, where it's just very commercial, mm-hmm. misogynist, very just that sort of thing. I would say conservative and some sort yep. of shitty values. Then, as we all know, early 90s hit, and suddenly there are bands like Nirvana or the Beastie Boys, whatever, they're teaching empathy and feminism and pro-choice. And then Rage is a part of that too. And suddenly it's this, the most ripping band. It's the best band on earth to be 13 to. And it's suddenly a vehicle for human rights advocacy. And that's mind blowing. And then, yeah, I think you can, here's my pitch. You can track the end of Rage Against the Machine with a shift in the country at large uh, back to conservative ideals and conservative politics. So I think, yeah, by 99, you see... Fight Club or Limp Bizkit or a few things, whether they deserve to be or not, dragging the country to the right. I'm going to throw Eminem and South Park in there, even if they're just sort of misused by certain people. And so mm-hmm. that's happening. And that's why well, that's the um, point. Yeah. we ultimately see Rage die right there. Rage essentially, for my money, 
in the 90s where there's a sort of Pax Americana and we're all like, everything's okay, maybe history's a bit over. There's this band saying, no, consider wealth inequality, consider lack of justice, both economic and racial and social and all that. And we're all like, this band's cool as fuck. Maybe they're onto something. And then they disappear and we grow into a version of that world. And suddenly 25 years later, you look back and you're like, that band was right about every single fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's That's this, a- um, can I, there's, a, there's actually a review that uh, Ringer did because they did a, a whole 99 uh, thing about music. And I just want to uh, just quickly read a portion of it because it does tap into what you're saying. Uh, the Battle of Los Angeles is the band's masterwork, not only because it aged gracefully necessarily, it sliced through the era's Clintonian smoothness and technocratic cheeriness simply by screaming at the top of his lungs. Though this is not typical protest music, its forebears are Pete Seeger, Neil Young, KRS-One, its prescience and full-throated commitment never comes at the expense of a song you want to listen to. This has always been a difficult proposition in America pop music, from the soft-footed hippie folk that marched against the war, teach your children well indeed, to public enemies haunted frantic panic in the streets, at what cost a song? The compromise has felled many artists in recent history. Rage didn't, needn't worry. The band knew a lot. In 99, they seemed to have a song for every incoming tragedy. The Iraq war, war within a breath. The financial meltdown of 2008, sleep now in the fire. The subprime housing crisis, new millennial homes. The immigration nightmare of 2019, Maria. The, the amusing ourselves to death chokehold of the 21st century, the scalding testify. So it's like every song, it's, it's like they saw everything coming. Truly, and... Yeah, it, it's just so impressive. But uh, to your earlier point, too. So in my town, Jackson, New Jersey, it's like a suburban rural hybrid. And this is a band Rich, that is... Rich, where is it in New Jersey? You know where the Six Flags is? Of course. That's me. Right. <laughs> I probably, I guarantee you, I wore a puffy shirt and tried to take your photo when you walked in that park like a couple of decades ago. I, every cool. summer job was there. <laughs> and it's me just humming People of the Sun the entire time. I'm like muttering down Rodeo as I'm like serving cotton candy to a five-year-old. But so that town is just sort of, it is, it's more diverse than you would think because a lot of like my parents did, a lot of families uh, fled Brooklyn to raise their kids in Jersey and that was just an affordable middle, middle class place to do it. But also it is very sort of, um, I'm just bigoted in a lot of ways too. But this band, which we haven't even talked about yet, but like, uh, the band is fronted by a, a Chicano kid from Orange County and uh, a black kid from suburban Illinois. And they're just the most enormous rock band on the planet. They're crossing over to places like where I'm from. It's in the weight rooms, the football team, the wrestling team. They're all screaming it. And a lot of those kids, I'm sure, like Paul Ryan, miss the message or just uh, ignore it and just love the fuck yous. But also, I, I'm so serious. I remember talking to just so many meatheads, or at least a handful and like they're just schooling me on Subcomandante Marcos and the movements of like the Zapatista Indians in Chiapas. Yes! And I'm like, there's so much to be cynical about with this band. But how do you measure that? How do you how do you discount that? That's such a like, all right. So that's that that's a, a really great way of getting at the point I was just gonna say. <laughs> well, illustrating the point I was just gonna say, which is it is so if all right, if you're someone who believes that the history of America's history of oppression, the history of America's history of white superior of white supremacy. The history of America is a history of, you know, white people stealing lands from people of color and people, you know, and, and it continues on to this day. If you're someone who believes that we are, are living in an, a, a necessarily, you know, a, 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 a in an unequal society, 
it's very hard to get that message across <clears throat> to people who are resistant to that kind of message. And as far as I'm concerned, there are only two ways to do it. And it's not going to come from your parents. It's not going to come from your teachers for the most part. It's going to come from your friends and it's going to come from pop culture. And it's not going to come from the pop culture of people who are, who are, who are basically saying, you know, the more you know, which isn't unimportant. It's, in, it's, it's helpful to know where people stand, but it's going to come from the places where, you, where, it's, where it's almost incepted in. And Rage Against the Machine incepted these ideas into a lot of people through this music. Now, I don't know if that's on purpose. I think Rage was very calculating in the way it used corporate, the, the, the corporate media structure to get its message out and very intelligent in that way. But I think that, I think that the, the, the cart came after the horse in that they put the music out there the way they wanted to put it out there. It attracted a lot of people. It spoke to people and then people got deeper and deeper into it. So when I say like I got radicalized, not that radical, but like when I say I got radicalized, it was things like Rage Against the Machine setting me up to meet the people I met who have similar ideas that I did that I couldn't understand. And then in college, becoming friends with those people who furthered my education in like, you know, the Howard's in people history of America type thing and people history of the United States. That is so fucking critical to actually moving people leftwards. You're never going to get there by just telling them the way it is. So Yeah, and I think it's the age it hits you at too, where it's just like you're pubescent, you're already trying to figure out your space and the rules and where you exist in the world and hypocrisy and just understanding how complicated it is to grow up and be a grown-up. That just sort of adolescent angst as we just always talked about in the 90s is just sort of like not even like hijacked but just sort of like routed into um human rights concerns and that this band can do that so effectively like i can take that little thing in the back of your brain and i'm gonna make you care about sweatshops and it just it just did that thing where it's like oh yeah i already feel like there's an injustice happening to me in my bedroom because I don't get TV time. And now you're telling me this shit's going on out there too. We got to do something about this. That's how I feel too. Phil, how do you feel? Phil, what happened in Canada? What, like, what was going on in Canada in the 90s? Because what, what, <laughs> we don't talk about this a lot. You know, I, I, and, and I always kind of assume, and this is you know, patronizing, but I always kind of assume that things were kind of the yeah. same in Canada as they were in America. It can't possibly be true. So much of America... America's history is obviously incredibly different from Canada's history. And furthermore, like, as much as we don't want this to be the truth, the president sets the tone in the country, right? The 90s really took on Clinton, Clinton's kind of veneer. And same with the Bush era and same with the Obama era and same with the Trump era. era, era. Um, and uh, I wonder how that kind of felt in Canada at the time. Because what I'm trying to get at is like maybe rage wasn't so urgent to a Canadian kid in Toronto <clears throat> in '99, you know? Yeah, no, that, that, and I think that's you know I, I don't want to speak too broadly. I can really only speak to my experience, so I don't want to I don't want to sound as though I'm speaking for the entire country, which has a population smaller than the entire state of California. So we need to take that into consideration. Oh, um, we have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, our political leaders, you know, uh, Jean Chrétien was the prime minister during the 90s, you know, and even the early 2000s. Um, you know, he was a, as is, as are most Canadian politicians, they are, you know, they're not really lightning rods for conflict. Uh, they tend to be, you know, the, the Liberal Party has run the, uh, you know, the, the, has been the prime minister the majority of the time. It's not a particularly conservative country, uh, as I'm sure you guys have gleaned. Um, whether or not there were kids that uh, and adults that connected with Rage Against the Machine, uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that was the case. I'm sure that it was a big band in Canada. It just wasn't necessarily the biggest band for me personally. Um, I know a lot of friends that were big fans of this band. Whether or not it, and and I imagine all the things you guys are talking about, this like lighting a fuse inside a generation. I have no doubt that that happened in Canada as well. There were any number of things to rally against in Canada and there continue to be. Um, They're just not as urgent as they are down here. Um, It feels like when things go off the rails down here, they go off the rails. Um, Whereas in Canada, it's, you know, the things to to rally against are, are, are significant. And I'm sure that, and I know I have friends that have many, many issues with what's going on politically in Canada. Um, from you know the, the the pipeline to any number of things that are that are bad, there are a lot of people that don't like Trudeau. However, if you're down here, you look at Trudeau and and he's like a beacon of of greatness. Um, so it's 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 really just sort of what was that, Kenny? No, I just luckily you know he's a good looking guy. In comparison, um, yeah. he is he is gorgeous. And in comparison, I mean, come on, like yeah, no, it's it's not even he's a dream but, but here's the thing, and I think this is kind of what you were driving at a little bit, Kenny, with your question, which is that, you know, Canada sets, uh, not Canada, the United States sets the tone, right? You know, when things are going well here, um, they tend to be going that much better in Canada. If things are going poorly here, you're seeing Canada struggle as well in its own way. And I think that that Clintonian sort of I don't know calmness or 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 naivete that 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 we felt Trashy. down here. What sure, however you want to call it, those eight years, um, you know, this country was lulled into a sense of of complacency um, that felt like everything was going to be okay. And I think that Canada similarly felt that way too. It was a time of of you know, prosperous, everybody was prospering. Um, you know, and we can all kind of look at that 2000 election as <laughs> a moment. Um, and you know, I, I feel like I want to talk about this and I don't want to turn it into a whole big thing, but I do think that it, that for myself anyway, I got to talk about the testify video for a second and just say that, that the false equivalency in that video fills me with rage. <laughs> like I, I can't handle that because I feel like that false equivalency still exists. There, there are still people that paint with broad brushes. And I love Michael Moore in a lot of ways. I think he's a very talented filmmaker. He's made some tremendous movies. Um, but I think he's also kind of, you know, likes to stir the pot um, and, and likes to be a bit of a shit disturber sometimes for good or for bad. And that video just made me angry. But that's just me. Had you ever seen it before? Had you, Phil, had you ever seen it before? Yes. I reference it a lot. I think about I it. I seen it, yeah. I think about it all the time. In what way? I know you do. do I, in what way do I reference it or what way do I think about it? Either, both, yes. The way Phil is talking about it. Okay. Um, that being said, and I think this is 
kind of critical. At the time, I thought that they were telling me, and I, this, is not, this is not an attempt to say that I was stupid or naive. I thought they were telling me the yeah. truth. I w- at the time, I was, I was convinced that the Republicans and Democrats were closer to each other than they were to the plight of the average American. Mm-hmm. And while it is obviously an exaggeration, it did seem in the moment like what they're getting at is we have a much bigger problem than Republicans versus Democrats. We have ruling class versus underclass. And both of these guys are members of the ruling class, which is, you know, obviously born out over years and years and years. Now, in retrospect, I think you have to remember that at the at that moment, nobody thought Bush was going to win. I remember Nader coming out and saying, if, if Gore can't beat Bush on his own, he deserves to lose because Bush was such an idiot. And we had never had such an overt idiot running for president right i mean he obviously looks like a you know road scholar comparatively but he was such an overt idiot so they the there were a lot of ideas going on in 2000 like the, the idea was gore was gonna win but vote for nader because get the green party to five percent get a viable third party on you know the national the, the the um national ticket with national fund fundraising or federal fundraising and move the country to the left, which we thought we had a chance to do. I think we were wrong. Like I get it, but at the time that's how it felt. Go ahead, Rich. Well, I will say this. I I think clearly at the end of the video, they suggest a solution that can be debated all day long. Nader in the year 2000, that's a loaded issue, of course, in the way that election, a lot of things went catastrophically wrong there. I feel like he's still, obviously I'm the guy that's like, I think he's holding the bag a little more than he deserves. But even besides the couple hundred votes Nader got in Florida. um, I think he's holding the bag more than he deserves too. Yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, yeah. But there, but but even. He's not without a bag. Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) But even like the solution of what Michael Moore and Rage and uh, everybody was clearly suggesting Mm -hmm. in 2000. I think they diagnose a problem like, yes, of course, we especially live in a time now more than then where like the differences between the, the two majority, uh, two major parties are so stark and wild, more so than ever been. One's fascism right now. Um, yeah. But I think at the time you see them coming out here and saying, hey, it's not just that the country needs to move left. Here's what happened. I think you're right. It's a, it's the class issue and the ruling and the working man and who's got their back. What they're saying is, so the democratic party, which used to have ostensibly unions and working people's backs since the eighties, they've been shifting this way. Look, they get money from the same uh, companies. Yes, of course there's social wedge issues that are different at this time. And of course, in hindsight, you're like, well, if Gore got elected instead of Bush, what would have changed in the next eight years? And the obvious answer is, 9-11 9-11 may not have happened. Literally, yeah. when the Clintons were leaving office, they were like, hey, by the way, Bush team, keep an eye on this uh, bin Laden guy. And they're like, thanks, we got it from here. Um, but so I think there's that too, that like it is not only, I think, true of that time in a way we all didn't realize, it's exactly the conversation we're having now in the Democratic or Party or the left in general. It's like, 
who is coming up from the grassroots and who is just a corporate sponsored. Again, whatever your opinion on that or just sort of like the validity or import of that these days, I, I submit that they diagnose them again that we'd be dealing with for the next 20 years. So I, I think sorry. I, yeah, just to just to get on the, the political tip on this a little bit. Um, I think I think what happened to some extent in 2000, I think you, you nailed it, essentially, it really did feel like, you know, those sound bites that they pulled that were Bush and Gore saying the exact same things. Bill Clinton really was a centrist, a true centrist, right? Uh, he came from a central wing of the of the of the party. He founded—I forgot what the organization was called—but um, basically, it was a it was a it was a centrist group. Um, he was a Southern governor. He was pro death penalty. He, you know, he was he was in a lot of ways, you know, in the pockets of a lot of corporations. I think we've seen that as the Clintons have gone out of office, just how connected to corporate corporate money they were. It didn't feel like that these two guys were that different. What's happened in the country now that's a little disheartening. The Democrats have moved to the left. Like, take a look at Joe Biden's platform. It's radical compared to Clinton, right? It's radical. It's not far left enough, but they have. Like you said, the Republicans have become fascists, right? But what I think that bothers me so much about the Testify video in retrospect that I don't think we ever, ever appreciated as a country was it matters who the actual guy is, right? Like, it, like a president is not just a set of ideals, a set of policies he plans to enact. A president is someone who has to make decisions on a day-to-day basis. And Bush was not up to that task. Trump is not up to that task. Clinton was up to that task for the most part. Um, he made some bad decisions, but in general, I trust his. I trusted his ability to diagnose a problem, go to the experts, and go with this smart solution in the moment. And that's a thing that I think that's what bothers me because Bush and Gore obviously are not the same guy. In the end, of the I, I want to I want to piggyback on that because I fully agree with you, and I and and I kind of want to, you know, one of the, I don't want to say, one of the things that can come from this band and specifically from this video is um, binary conclusions, um, and and I think that. Um, there's no question that all the members of Rage, and I would even I would even argue Michael Moore as well, uh, are incredibly intelligent, uh, complex intellectuals that are trying to break down very complex issues into ways that are uh, digestible by the public. Um, the problem with a video like Testify is it takes a very complicated, nuanced thing and tries to make it black and white. And tries to and 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 the fallout of a situation like that is what happened in the 2000 election, right? Which is that people take away perhaps the wrong things from this video um, and think, you know, uh, they're the same and they're not. And I guess I just that's that's the frustrating thing for me watching this video in hindsight, which is that it's it's kind of woefully naive in its own weird way. Like to look at that now and be like, Oh, that's sweet. 
in the fucking dumpster fire I, that we live I, I in right now. I think that's what it is, Phil. I think ultimately, and like, what are you going to do? Because at the yeah. time, well, but I think Michael Moore would even agree with that. I remember yeah. very, I remember very, like like very vividly around 2004. I mean, Nader ran again in 2004, and Nader went on Bill Maher. And Michael Moore was also on Bill Maher. And Michael Moore and Bill Maher begged Nader not to run. So clearly <laughs> Michael Moore recognized that that, that yes. wasn't the solution. But yes. also no one at the time had any concept of how bad Bush could be. Well, I think, too, it's a harder <clears throat> position to have in a music video that's four minutes long if the, the pitch is like <laughs> – Hey, okay, we wanted to primary for Bill Bradley, but Al Gore got it. So now if you live, so now if you live in a state that is definitely blue, you should throw money at Ralph Nader because he gets three to four percent of the vote. He gets federal funding next time. Like that's tricky. You definitely to are tell. from New Jersey. No one remembers Bill Bradley except for people from New York and New Jersey. What a world we would have lived in, baby. But what a also, too, I, I think it's that like, look, we could put a, a band on the hook for. Uh, endorsing a presidential candidate in August of 2000. Sure. But also weirdly uh, unrelated to this, I actually ended up catching Roger and me, the 89 Michael Moore film for the first time in decades. And that is it's a great. So, movie. Yeah. It's so prophetic as well of just like how the yeah. um, normal working class Americans of either party just get right fucked by corporations and this and that, that is a trend that is even before Clinton that Michael Moore's putting that out is definitely carried through in the nineties in a way that is invisible to a lot of us who aren't in those rust belt places, but NAFTA and this and that, and everything we're just talking about is absolutely complicit in that. So in the context of, well, it matters who president is, I agree, but also they're looking at so many other issues and just trying to, I, I think of the video less as endorsing Nader and more just being like, we have a serious problem where both of these whatever you, however you want to phrase it, just the government, the federal government in the past 20 years has been abandoning you. And I think that has merit at that time. It definitely does. It definitely does. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. Um, and it's, and it's an important voice to be out there, right? Like it's important that someone is making that case in that moment. Like you said, because what you're talking about, that was uh, that was Reagan era into the Bush era, right? Mm -hmm. Roger and me is like 89. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm -hmm. um, so it's Reagan era into the Bush era. This shit started with Reagan for the most part, right? This fucking of the American worker started with deregulating these industries um, and de-unionizing and de this country for the most part, right? Clinton mostly ignored it. Well, Just like an, helped deregulate I, a lot too. There is that. Made it worse, yeah. made it worse, right, right. Made it worse, but because there were so many things that he was doing that made us feel better about ourselves, we allowed it to happen. This happened during the Obama administration too, right? Sure. Where there were a lot of really great things happening and we felt really great about ourselves that we ignored what was happening at Amazon, for instance, where people are still working for minimum wage uh, in like sweatshop conditions, right? Like we just let that happen because we all felt so great. So it's important that this... It's hard, man, because it's important that these points are out there. But then on the other side, you have a fucking tyrant. And when you're, you know, when you when you have to get in bed with the, you know, Bidens and Obamas and all the way to the, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the world, it sucks. 
But like, I can't have like this motherfucker be the president. <laughs> um, but yeah. it, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, just that, like, weirdly too, and like, I feel like at, at some point, I'm sure later we'll talk to, just speak to the end of rage. But consider too, this band breaks up October 2000. Yep, a couple weeks before everything they warned us about comes to fruition. And all of that. Stuff. Well, they were, they, they release a, a they release a single "Calm Like a Bomb" on November thirteenth, um, which you know, uh. <laughs> "Calm Like a Bomb" was "Calm Like a Bomb" was off uh, Battle of Los Angeles, so it was out yeah. there. So good. But yeah. um, and then they released the uh, the album covers, of covers, covers which is just like yeah. if if you don't think Rage is like a good musical band, like listen to that album. That album is gorgeous. I want to give a little bit of context for the Battle of Los Angeles because um, it's the 99 album. It's the third studio album from the band. comes out on Election Day 99, November 2nd. Uh, it was nominated for Best Rock Album. Uh, Time and Rolling Stone both said it was the best album of 1999. It would be their last album, as we've talked about. They'd break up in 2000. Uh, it had four singles, Gorilla Radio, which came out on October 12th, 99. Sleep Now in the Fire, November 4th, 99. Testify on June 7th. And like I said, Calm Like a Bomb on November 13th. The song Calm Like a Bomb was featured in the credits of The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, the videos, as we Wake mentioned. Up were- the- Wake Up was in the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the videos for Sleep Now and the Fire and Testify, as we said, were both directed by Michael Moore. Um, both Testify and Gorilla Radio were featured in the video game Rock Band 2, mm-hmm. uh, both yep. being on disc and downloadable. The album debuted Get number that message one. message out on- anyway. <laughs> the album uh, debuted at number one on Billboard's Top 2000, selling 420,000 copies in its first week. Uh, forcing Mariah Carey's highly anticipated album to take the number two spot. Uh, Gorilla Radio was also featured in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, albeit heavily edited for the for the N64 version. It was also in Madden uh, NFL 2010. Um, the album cover art was from an original artwork by the L.A. Street Phantom, a.k.a. Joey Krebs, a.k.a. Joey Jaramillo, a well-known LA artist who exhibited numerous galleries in LA, uh, what have you. So yeah, there's a little uh, a little bit of context for the album. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of. I, I'll say I read a, a fair amount of reviews for it um, from '99, and obviously, it was re sort of appraised at the end of last year. A lot of people obviously said that it's you know 
either, if not the best album, certainly top three of 99 for most music critics. Um, I'll give one last thing here real quick from Ringer that said, Rage was led by guitarist Godhead Tom Morello, a Harvard-educated futurist technician in a ball cap, and MC Zach De La Rocha, grandson of a Mexican revolutionary who found ways to make slam poetry earnestness uh, and campus activist rhetoric something bigger and more fierce. Together, they wrote songs to create awareness about the imprisoned journalist uh, Mamaya Abul-Jamal, the teachings of Chinese communist leader Mao Zedong, the dark heart of American colonialism, and especially about the Zapatistas and the Mexican struggle in that country and at home. They did it with a towering guitar rock that sounds by turn like a satanic metalhead cookout at a firehouse urgently responding to a siren. One part kiss, one part slayer, one part minor threat, and one part dog chasing an ambulance. A war machine gone straight edge that just happens to kill fascists. Wait a second. I have to get that tattooed on my stomach like Tupac. A war machine. <laughs> Say it again. Uh, sorry, a a war machine gone straight edge that just happens to kill fascists. You know what that sentence needs? <laughs> a fucking Rage's machine chorus coming in right after it. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And also, so yeah, so they literally eleven months after that album comes out, they're the biggest band on earth. They're done. Zach quits the done. following October. Yeah. yeah. Um, how is you, I'm, I'm assuming did you guys listen to his solo stuff is it any good he doesn't have much yeah. oh, okay. he like has been featured he's been on Run the Jewels with DJ Shadow a song with Trent Reznor over the years oh I love the fucking Run the Jewels song yeah oh yeah for sure uh, what, count, like Count to Fuck or something close your eyes and count to fuck <laughs> Maybe. that's so good <laughs> I wish I could play it for you but uh, wait it's on three that's it's, incredible uh, close your eyes and count oh, the fuck is it Whatever. That yes, is love the greatest. Yep. What is Close it your eyes and count to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he becomes this. It's so good. It's so good. It sounds like a rage song. You should listen to it. Oh my God. I'm sure you perfect. Have, but. but yeah, he, he disappears a lot more. Obviously the other three guys stick together for the next couple bands and audio, audio slave, slave. And prophets of rage. None of which just sort of clicks in any of those sort of ways. Um, audio slave yeah. Apparently. Bad, sorry. <laughs> well sure but it's just like it's just not the same they were, they were killed like they were like when they came out like rock critics just destroyed them but like i don't know man if you like fucking pearl jam and stp like Soundgarden, how could you not like audio slave come on <laughs> fuck you trying I, mean, to I don't uh, i don't disagree but it is interesting how <laughs> but it is interesting how like when the knives come out, you know, like wh- why certain people get passes, certain bands get passes and other bands. And I think, and I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm assuming it's because of the love for rage, right? It's like, it's like them saying, well, fuck this. Like I want rage. I don't want rage with Chris Cornell doing like, you know, I, I so it, it's, it feels like it was more of a reaction against rage not existing anymore than Audio Slave existing, but maybe I'm wrong. And you know, it's so funny too because the same critics that malign Audio Slave for not being rage, they gave rage shit in every single interview. Yeah. The '90s is just this, just littered with them being like, "You're on a major label, you're how rich, and like you think you're a revolutionary." And I got to yeah. tell you, in all the reading I did this week, every time they get this question, Rage genuinely knocks it out of the park. 
Yeah. And it's just well, they're fucking smart what, guys. What do they say? What do they say? It's just like, well, yeah, no, there's that too. Is that like they're way smarter than a Rolling Stone writer? <laughs> yeah. But so, I mean, okay, so just the way they break it down. Well, first of all, let me just tell you a quick story about when Rage uh, gets started because I think it speaks to a lot of this stuff. Um, they're all in like a bunch of different bands that you've never heard of in like 88, 89, 90. They're all in LA. Some of them are signed, some of them are, have tours going on, but like nothing's like breaking out. But two bands, the one Zach and uh, the bassist are in and the one Tom is in, break up around the same time. Tom Morello literally puts an ad in a local LA music magazine. That's like, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's so exactly this. It's just something like, um, band, guitarist seeking socialist lead singer who loves like black flag and public enemy equally something like that (laughs) and a guy who knows tom and zach separately reads this ad calls zach he's like you gotta meet this guy (laughs) like it's just it's an ad for one person (laughs) it's just so insane it's exactly that So he already has the drummer on the hook because he had tried out for a band Tom was in before that. So they have Brad and Tom and then Zach and Tim, the bassists, walk in. And this is like summer 91. You're going to love this part. They get in a room and even like Tom was in like a, a sort of glam band, something very Sunset Strippy before this. And then he says once they got in the room, he's suddenly writing music he loved more than anything he's ever done before. The band just clicks so hard. In the first month, they write, 15 songs, most of which are on the first record. In a month, they just define that sound, come out of it swinging. They play their first show for like 18 dudes at a small club somewhere. And I think there's actually footage, or it might have been like a, a college in Northridge. Yeah, but either way, the next show they play, it's first show is like, you have to get down here. Something insane just happened. And it's just like immediate ignition. <laughs> and it goes from there so much so that every single major label a couple months later is courting them like crazy. Even like they would go to their rehearsal spaces as the meeting just to check the band out and try to schmooze them in this and that. And the band's very savvy and like, I don't know, I don't know. Literally this, Maverick Records was thinking about signing them. Madonna in 1992 or one goes to Rage's rehearsal space to like court them. Crazy. Eventually they sign with Geffen. And this is in getting back to like why they are just sort of like, we're not sellouts. So they're sitting down with Geffen and... <laughs> They're so hot and everybody wants them. And they're just so clearly the most explosive live band happening. Um, They sit down and they're like, we not only want a three album guarantee, we want to make the sort of penalties for you not letting us record those other albums so huge that you're just incentivized to just let us do what we want. Also, we want complete creative control (laughs) over the songs, over the sequencing, over the art, over the tours, over the t-shirts, over the videos, every single thing. And Geffen says, okay. So they are, I think that's pretty fucking punk, is that they come out there and say, we're going to use this corporate mechanism to just do exactly what we want on our terms. And people always say, like, well, why are you on a major at all? Why weren't you like Fugazi? To which Tom Morello actually said, he's like, listen, guys, when you're Fugazi, I love Fugazi. And Fugazi's Fugazi, and that's great. But when you're Fugazi, you got to be a fucking businessman. You got to pick up the phone and call them like, is the shipment even going to get to Australia in time for the show? We didn't want that. We wanted somebody else to do that so we could concentrate right. on the other thing, which is getting the message out and raising shitloads of money about these issues we care about, which they undeniably did. Leonard Peltier, Mumia Abu-Jamal, everything they did, like they took this apparatus 
and just blew it out for their message. Turned weaponized it. it. Oh, wow. Yeah, they wanted to. They wanted to weaponize Incredible. the, the system against itself. It. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with the podcast in a couple of minutes. But first, a word from our sponsor. That's right, we got a sponsor. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much that they decided to dedicate every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts rightfully demanding a production of a third national treasure to comfy sweatshirts that reasonably serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings your tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERFRIEND. All caps, no spaces. That's SUPERFRIEND at checkout. And if the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. That's superyaki, S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Thanks for listening to that ad, guys. Now back to the show. What is the point of making art that's not for the most people possible i'm i'm constantly yeah. i'm constantly thinking about this thing if you're not making art that in success goes out to as many people possible what are you afraid of like yeah. why why wouldn't you do that so i under i understand why they would do this i understand why they would say i can essentially put a song into this like Hydra that shoots yep. it out through the world. Yep. Or yep. I can continue to play in small clubs and hope that like one day I become like, I don't fucking know, like Van Gogh after I'm dead. And like people like then who cares? Like yeah. get the message out. It's so much yeah. more important, right? Like otherwise yeah. you're just, you're, you, I mean, the people who make art for their peers, like can go fucking eat shit. It's well. I think that in the world. I don't. I don't disagree with you, but I do think that it stems from it's. It's a little bit of fear. Like it's. It's. It's a. It's a lack of courage, right? I mean, the, rage has the courage of its convictions yeah. and says, it's like, I'm gonna fuck it. Yeah, and and if you don't have that, or you're quite frankly afraid of failure. Um, you know, that's when you play it safe, or that's when it's like, oh, it's fine if it's in some small little fucking whatever. But I don't know. I mean, this this band was a lightning rod it seems from what, what rich is saying from like inception from like the moment people saw this thing it was like a whole and 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 we've all we've all said it in various ways over the last hour or so but the moment you hear it for the first time it's just unlike anything and it is screaming in your face things that are so bold and 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 uh courageous that you're just yeah. like well, fuck yeah sure i'll go wherever you where, wherever you want to take me it's like every once in a while a piece of commercial art which this undeniably is comes out and is several levels above whatever it came whatever came before and not in terms of quality just in terms of planning for your next trip 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Being unlike anything in, in its supposed genre, and the one I've used recently, sure. and I said it to Miguel Rohn when he was on the podcast, is Spider-Verse. Like, Spider-Verse is so many steps yeah. beyond whatever you think came before it. I don't even know what yeah. that is. Like, I can't even tell you what the the thing closest to Spider-Verse is. And I think that's true for, like, a lot of the great, you know, kind of these these great uh, turning points in, in film goes. Like, I think Jaws is several steps beyond whatever came before it. Um, I think that's clear. I've seen a lot of those like monster movies before it and they're all trash. And then Jaws is a you know masterpiece. Raging as we've seen self-titled albums like that. There is nothing that yeah. rocks as hard and also hits you with such like unapologetic truths um in such a you know mainstream way. And I don't mean that in any kind of um you know derisive way. It's just the fact of the matter is like loud rock is mainstream right this wasn't like this wasn't you know even i was gonna say it wasn't ozzy osbourne eating the head of the bat on stage but that was mainstream like that was like like mainstream was really anything that it was like two guitars and a drummer Trying to think of a band that 
and and nothing is coming to mind. I'm sure you guys can probably think of one, but uh, but a band that sort of really and I agree with you, Kenny, that that Run the Jewels is probably the equivalent to to Rage right now. But can you guys think of a band that that sort of so seismically shifted perspectives of people, like that that actually felt like like a movement? Because this to me feels like ever or to, since both, I guess. You know, I, 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 because I'm thinking about what you sent in that email, Rich, about like their liner notes are a reading list for their, for their listeners or for their fans or what have you of, of numerous political movements. And, and, you know, I'm trying to think of a band that was so sort of, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm lost for the words, but like someone that really, or a band that really wants to open people's minds. I have a bad I, answer. Okay, but a band that was that's uh, <laughs> a band that's that has that has genuinely deeply changed people's lives and influenced them. I'm maybe scared. For, maybe for the better. Insane clown posse. Okay. <laughs> in a, I'll give you in a small bubble of the country that is true. They are. Yeah. There is yeah. like, but, but but I'm not gonna ride for insane clown posse. But like insane clown posse for some people has become religion, and I can't say that for most bands. But you know, BTS for some people has become religion. So you know, who knows? Yeah, I guess in certain. I mean, as far as like a social movement like that, I guess you know, there's some '60s bands just trying to go to sort of like expanding your mind there's punk rock that hits there's hip-hop that does try to speak to an urban or or, inner city experience but yeah not in this way i guess too it is funny when you think about mass media public enemy is yeah public enemy would would be one of them absolutely and then even just that like at the same time rage is exploding um in south la so is uh dr dre snoop all that that suddenly that's all hitting the suburbs too but in a way that is less sort of, it's more speaking to um, the ills that this uh, area has been burdened with more so than like demanding the justice of it, I guess. So, yeah, right. I don't. Yeah, it's I mean, there's just it, it's it really just feels like the the depth of uh, of this band and, and, and what it was trying to do and how it was trying to mold and shape minds is so rare that's not to say that there aren't bands that have those notions but this to be this baldly attempting that is is shocking and in a good way the other great socially socially progressive politically progressive artist of the last 40 years uh, on a real massive scale right Mm -hmm. arena rock Mm -hmm. yeah um is bruce springsteen Mm-hmm. But Bruce, who I love and adore, mm-hmm. um, was too subtle. And the great majority of Bruce fans don't know what Bruce is doing. Um, you know, because well, he's a storyteller. He's a troubadour, right? Like he's baking so. his political message inside stories of characters and what have you. Yes, I would say yes. Yeah. And uh and a lot of that gets lost. I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, yeah. Rich can speak to the the New Jersey Bruce experience. <laughs> In the nineties, it's non-existent. By the way, I don't even discover Bruce until like ninety nine. Totally agree with you. People yeah. don't know that. Yeah, <laughs> people don't know that. In the nineties, there was no Bruce Springsteen, there was no Michael Jackson, 
There was no Prince. These people didn't exist. The 90s were different. Yeah. But- Does Bruce – can I ask a question on, on the Bruce front, and it's a brief one? But for me, what brought Bruce back into the consciousness uh, was 9-11, was 100%. the Rising album and and that whole thing. Am I So that, that was sort of his – resurgence i guess to a certain degree yeah it tended to dovetail with him getting back together with the e street band which also happened in 99 that was really when i was suddenly aware i was like wait i saw rage at continental airlines arena and now this guy bruce springsteen selling it out for like 20 nights in a row what's this about (laughs) so he reunited with his band he just moved back to jersey in like the mid 90s and was kind of reconnecting to their roots and then of course they are exactly you know literally there's a story of on 9-11 Somebody sees Bruce on a motorcycle that's trying to clear his mind driving around Jersey. And a guy rolls down his window and is like, Bruce, we need you now more than ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's genuinely That's happened. incredible. They put out the Bruce yeah. signal. The Bruce- <laughs> <laughs> but, and also, too, consider that by 2012, Tom Morello joins the E Street Band. They're the same guys. Like, they come from the same place. So uh, the Bruce thing real fast is like, Bruce was the king of the 80s. The 80s ended. Bruce ended. Bruce became a soundtrack guy. Like Bruce was done. He put out Secret Garden. He put out Streets of Philadelphia. Yeah, like yeah. he was an old man. And I he thought won an he Oscar. Was, yeah. And I thought he was an old man. And I thought he was like you know for some other people. And he was done. And then hi, the, the the only little hint before nine eleven that Bruce was back was High Fidelity, when John right, Cusack right, right. calls right. upon his like muse and and John Cusack in that movie to me was just like. That's who I want to be. That's the coolest yeah. thing you can be. When he's like, Bruce yeah. is his man. The same guy who like shits on these other like bands who I think are cool. Like, all right, there might be something to this Bruce thing. 9-11 hit. <laughs> and then the yeah. other Bruce thing that happened was that all those mid-2000s bands, Arcade Fire and The Killers and all of those guys were like, we're trying to be Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. that's our guy. And yeah. I think that led to a real, you know, that led to like people listening to Nebraska again, you know, like things like that, that, uh, that really, you know, kind of solidified him. But the Bruce, I, thing, I agree that that killer's album, Sam's town, which is like basically just a Bruce Springsteen. They were trying album. to do a Bruce album. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which then tees up the next Bruce album, which is magic, which is a, it's a really solid album, but like that is sort of, that's when those two things He's kind been putting of out good shit for the last 20 years. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And what's funny too, is speaking of the way in which rage predicted the 21st century, they did like two covers in the '90s before the Renegade or the, the the cover album. They would, of course, do "Fuck the Police," and they do out of nowhere "The Ghost of Tom Jode," which yeah, is, which a, is so not good. a hit Bruce song. And they're keeping alive, like, no, this is the guy. This is the guy. Sure enough, that's really interesting. I didn't I didn't know that they Bruce covered was him. always the guy, and Bruce was also the guy. And this is like endemic in New Jersey, where they have no idea what he's talking about. Like, just like, you know, like, like Paul Ryan's a patron saint of like, of like oblivious rage fans. Like Chris Christie is like a Bruce (laughs) lifer. Like Chris Christie was at every one of the 20 shows at Continental Airlines Arena in the first row looking like me with a fucking headband on with a fucking bandana around his head like Bruce. With it, you know, okay. freaking out. And Chris Christie, like, I, Chris Christie stands, he, I think he, like, objectively, like, I think he knows. He's like, like, I don't really get him. <laughs> I just, I just know he gets me going. <laughs> and, but, but that's all of New Jersey. Like, New Jersey doesn't get Bruce. And it's a weird, it's a weird kind of, uh, 
paradox. Well, some folks in Jersey get Bruce, but you're right. It's ultimately having been having come from there. I'm still surprised it's a blue state. I think that's totally that that point holds for sure. Yeah. Um, but also there was a great reference. Canadian Bacon, the one Michael Moore scripted movie. There's, you know, these sort of like idiot redneck in Canada, or they're headed to Canada to start a war. It's like John Candy. And they are to pumping to pump themselves up. They're singing Born in the USA, but they don't remember the verses, which are anti-Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking genius. Yeah. Um, it's like that that's that's yeah, it's really it is Thank do God you think Bruce that's part of do- what's gr- well, they that part of what's great the, about Bruce? No, I think I. You don't think so? It depends that he's that that he can be heard by a a, a Republican and a Democrat, and somehow they have takeaways from both sides. I think that's part of why Bruce is popular. That's but I don't yeah. think that's make that makes him great. I think Bruce is putting out the best music Bruce can put out. And it, yeah. all, it, it all comes from the exact right place. It happens to be, you know, kind of easily digestible for, for dummies um, and, and yeah. easily, you know, malleable to their, 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 mean, their means. But that's on purpose, right? Born in the USA is purposely supposed to make you think it is a patriotic, you know, like a traditional conservative patriotic song and then undercutting that. Um, and there was, I mean, oh, the other thing I was going to say is thank God Bruce never got like, Never, never lost the fucking plot like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> He's a like the what the 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 born in the USA of films is First Blood. Yeah, yeah. Like First Blood is yeah. the most anti-Vietnam movie that has ever been fucking made ever. And this guy lost the plot so fucking hard, but. <laughs> I don't. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. He was suddenly yeah. like, well. I don't know. I'll just be the in the next movies. I'll be the Freddy Krueger to like people in other countries. <laughs> Which, this fucking happens, dude. Like people, like people start out good and then lose the plot. Like, and you know, just just it's happening all the time right now. But this this uh, feels like uh, I don't know if you agree, but yeah, Kenny, this feels like a good time to do our our, our top American bands since we're kind of uh, talking about we're circling that stuff. Are you uh, are you cool doing that now? Let's talk about. Wait, can we? Do you want to? Can we circle? Are we going to come back to rage? Because I just want to speak to that. No, go ahead. If you have rage stuff, please. Okay, ahead. I just want right. to touch That's... base on the end of their career because it's a yeah, really yeah, interesting absolutely. couple things going on yeah, in '99 yeah. into 2000. So the band is just doesn't really get along Great. in the '90s. They have like creative differences and just like it, it's a hard battle with them. So it's already sort of rocky. By '99 into 2000, uh, there's a couple big things that happened that summer. One of which is, as you pointed out earlier, Woodstock '99 which is a moment where rage kills, but also they say nothing else. Because you're right, they're sandwiched between Metallica and Limp Bizkit. And I feel like Woodstock 99 is a sort of moment where it's culturally, it's like Limp Bizkit and not giving a fuck is winning. Not like, giving a fuck was a big deal. Was a, was a 100%. Big- <laughs> like in the early 90s, like a Gen X thing, there was like the disaffected thing and also an empathy and just sort of like activism to it. And the disaffected wins and it goes and it creates like it just dovetails into sort of like libertarian internet incel sort of thing. And that's where Rage looks at Woodstock 99, I'm sure, and they're like, oh, it's going the other way. Then cut to a month later, they play a show for 5,000 people outside of the Democratic National Convention 
in Los Angeles. And the cops not only shut it down, they tear gas and billy club the kids out there. So trying to put a show, the cops, by the way, have been following them every show and giving them shit for like 10 years now. They fucking hate it. Wu-Tang had to leave a tour because they're like, there's too many cops around. They hate us. We just can't even do this with you guys. Yeah. And then a month after that, it's now September 2000 is the moment they play the VMAs. And sure, they lose to like break stuff or something like that. But there's a moment where the bassist, once they lose, he gets up and embarrasses himself and like gets on a tree on this thing and security comes and rips him down. And like, that's embarrassing enough. And apparently, yeah. yeah, And apparently that was something for Zach too. He's like, this is so humiliating. A month later, Zach quits. He's like, this is all just going fucking sideways. But also what happens too is on that broadcast after the commercial break, they come back and it's kid rock who was so emblematic of the conservative movement coming back at, in the 99, 2000 for my money. Um, he's sitting there and he's genuinely scoring points off the band. He's like, what do you even raging against like what's that one for like something like that and like the crowd's laughing and it's like oh i remember even watching this and being like something's different now like the other guys won sure enough a month later they're done so i just think it's just so interesting how you could track that over these this one summer of just like the foreboding of like you know what nationally uh when the election comes the limp biscuit fans are actually going to burn down this whole fucking place for the next 20 years yeah. And I think you brought it up early on and we don't have to get too much into it, but um South Park plays no small part in this. You know, it it <clears throat> also another piece of art that I think has been to some extent used unfairly and interpreted incorrectly, but more than most of these things I think that they actually deserve a lot of the blame here because what they did, which is scary. Like, I don't think Fred Durst, God love him, had any intention other than let's be loud. Let's get rich. Let's make money. Let's get girls. Let's live the rock star life. Like, I think he was a pretty boring guy ultimately with not a lot to say. Style over substance, which is, you know, a thing. Fine. What South Park did is what these fucking conspiracy QAnon people are doing now, which is like, no, no, no. This is what the smart people think. If you're smart, you think everybody's full of shit. If you're smart, you think they're, you know, that that everybody is all the, all the, all the, you know, bad things that are happening are connected in a way, you know, like, yeah, Nazis are fucking terrible, but have you seen the ACLU? They're terrible too. We're, you know, like, so that's, that it's upsetting because South Park in some ways is so incredible and such an incredible piece of work, but it more than like, I'm super into fucking Rick and Morty now. And I don't really understand exactly. I don't understand that the, 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 the connection between the line between the content of Rick and Morty and its fandom. I don't know what happened there, but you see exactly what happened there with Star with South Park. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I, I, it's, I'm, I'm really kind of, I'm, I'm thinking about what you were saying, Rich, about those VMAs. And I can't help but feel like there's a, there's a Trumpian component there too, you know, just in terms of this, um, I mean, the Kid Rock, certainly, component. But, like, this 
the fact that you know they won that the break stuff component won um does feel like i imagine if you're rage it feels a little bit like and perhaps forgive this comparison but it feels a little bit like when billy corgan was like britney spears is winning fuck it i'm done and then ultimately he kind of comes back and does all sort of whatever but like there's this moment when i think music because we kenny and i have talked a lot about you know, we did our whole best songs of 99. We've talked about sort of the the pop invasion that happens with, you know, your your Backstreet Boys, your Britney Spears, your Instincts, your what have you. But, but I think there's something to sort of those two things that are happening. There's this kind of proto kind of rap rock, new metal, what have you, that kind of dethrones rage. And then on the other side, you have this pop sort of thing, which dethrones a lot of the the grunge stuff. So... Yeah, it's not great. It's and there's just kind of like it feels like that just kind of goes on for a while. Like, well, it gave birth to pop, popular music in that first decade of the 2000s was very bad. Yeah, but yes. Indian music was very good. Yes, yes, you yes, know. Yes, so there yeah. was this like you know new almost what happened in the 90s with film. There's this this new thing that came up, and now I think popular music is pretty good frankly but. yes yes i agree um it, it yeah, yeah go ahead go ahead i think it's a point well made and i think um 100 percent. just to rephrase it because i think you make a great point but like yeah i wouldn't say they quit because of external factors like i'm sure it didn't help but i don't think they were like we can't be the number one band anymore let's get out of here i think if they got along they would have kept going and would just be playing clubs for the next 10 years if they really wanted to but just they were lightning in a bottle and the rage was often pointed at each other. I guess is the hackiest behind the music way I could put it. <laughs> we we were the machine all along. Um, you want to uh, you 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 want to get into the top yeah. five? But I'm I'm you know as per my my want, I can't just keep it to a five. And I want to discuss the entire history of American bands. So uh, oh Jesus, I have six, but I, mean, I have like forty. I have um, oh, four Jesus. because I was going to steal one of yours for five. I was so in my own head about this one. Well, all right. So <laughs> since you guys, since you guys, I, 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 I have a five, but I'm going to just throw out a bunch of bands, some that I think uh, won't be on anyone's list but must be mentioned, and then my honorable mentions. Why are you? You must be joking. You're Let's co-opting with- the entire spectrum of American music yeah. and then saying, oh, you guys is, can talk about them this later? Is the, this is the only time we're going to do this. This okay. is the only time we're going to do this. All right. Here are some bands that didn't make my list but must be mentioned when you talk about the greatest American rock bands. Because they get mentioned when you talk about the greatest American rock bands. The Grateful Dead and Fish. Aerosmith. The Eagles. The Doors. CCR, Creedence Clearwater Revival, right? <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers, who I have a lot of thoughts on. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, The Strokes, Vampire Weekend, and Heart. Does anyone have any thoughts about these bands before I continue? I mean, I, I, what's I know, amazing and I know, what, what, I know what, one of them what, is on your list, Phil, and I won't say which it's one. It's not. It's not actually. It's good not. for you. So um, I, 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 thanks. See, this is what I love about what you've done is yeah. you've cut the legs out of anyone that wants any of these bands to There's be no in their top five. There's no chance you guys five. want any of those bands. <laughs> you guys are too cool. I'm just, 
I'm anyway. Uh, point is, I, I think that yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of those bands feel like uh, kind of your go tos, your Tom Petty's, your your Grateful Dead's. Like, I I get why those bands mean a lot to generations that aren't to necessarily ours. Kids. Yeah. Um, I won't give you my honorable mentions. I understand what you're saying. We'll do. We'll just go straight to it with that. But the mm-hmm. other, yeah, the, the two I wanted to like just highlight. Yeah. are the strokes and vampire weekend mm-hmm. who um i now i have i have one post rage band in my top five so it's not as if you know i think those are the two best post rage bands but i do think that uh i think that they're the they're two and three for me and they're also huge and maybe the killers you could put in that group too um three like the three biggest rock bands that are American that came out of this. Arcade Fire, of course, is not. Right, Phil? Uh, that's correct. They are Canadian. They're Canadian. So uh, you have, guys have any thoughts on those three bands? I think what's interesting about Vampire Weekend is there's a similarity to Rage only because that's another band where like they came right out of the box with their own sound. That wasn't like the most unique thing. It had that sort of Paul Simony thing and Talking Heads, but it was just so well defined immediately. Now that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And then to grow beyond that, which they could and Rage never did. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I, I listened. I remember when I heard there was a band called Vampire Weekend. I was like, I like vampires, <laughs> so I was like, love I'll, 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 right? I was like, who doesn't love those things? So I mean, I'm not even kidding. I was like, vampires in the title. I'll check this out. Maybe they're like a cool goth band. And then I listened to them, and I'm like, there's like no vampires here. This is this is false fucking advertising. But it is weekend. Music. <laughs> there is weekend yeah. the best weekend music. I yes. think that I, I, I really love. I think their third album is a straight up masterpiece. But I, I'm just I love the I, I love the band. I love the Strokes and I love the Killers. I think that the in uh, the band that's in my top five we'll talk about later. But it's interesting that you know American rock music is you know on life support. However, yes, when those three bands or you know Julian Casablancas or someone associated with these bands um, puts out an album, it still does register you know yes. and obviously there are british bands and other bands that you know radioheads and whatever that still register um oh the other band i would put on is lcd sound system which is not really a band but um but these three bands still can sell out arenas and still have huge followings and this is kind of where american rock music is right now to some extent so Nothing like Rage. There, I don't think there's any major bands I, uh, like Rage right now. I would agree. What's funny, too, is um, we're all aware that they were to supposed Rage. to tour this year and got canceled because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess they would have been the only band. Who's the biggest hard rock band right now? I don't even think we know who they are. It's some Hard rock band? It's hard a, rock um, band. Imagine Dragons, something in that K-Rocky Just feels, world. It <laughs> feels too soft. It feels too electronic. But maybe I don't. I don't steal. I mean, like it can't. There has to be someone. But I guess not. Oh, the other band that I don't know why I left off. Sorry, that's just an enormous band that really can't be ignored. Is Green Day, um, and uh, and and I I you know I will forever contend American Idiots one of the best albums ever made. But um, also very political uh, in kind of a weird way. I can talk about that album forever. I wish it was ninety nine. 
But yeah, my number seven is a band that that I'm very conflicted about, but love them dearly. I had to put the Smashing Pumpkins on this list. Uh, I, 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 they, they, they're they obviously drop off a fucking cliff uh, in terms of their output, and I haven't listened to anything they've done in I don't even know how many years, but. Those first handful of albums and and specifically Melancholy is just such a fucking like it's just an album for me. I love it. So uh that's my number seven. Uh we want to do you want to I'll just do them all and then or we or how do you want to no, do No, no, let's let's go. I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna throw two of mine to seven so we can we can be on the same. All right. Uh my number seven, I'm gonna try okay, go not ahead. to steal one from Phil because I, I pretty much know your list. So I'll just go with a band that I'd like to talk about. Um number seven, Guns N' Roses. Guns and uh, motherfucking roses. Um, uh, After Rage may be the most important band of my childhood. Um, Maybe the, I'd say like, Use Your Illusion comes out in like what, like 90, 91, something like that. 91, double album. I knew every word to every song in that album. I thought the videos were the most incredible things I'd ever seen. I thought Axel. Really? I think November Rain is Strange is just incredible. I love Don't Cry. Um, I'll watch November Rain right now. Like, there's just the the, the epic <laughs> the epicness of Slash's uh, Slash's dr- your guitar, guitar solo outside the, the church chopper truck with the chopper. Like that is cinema. Um, we just, I got to say one thing about that, though, and it drives me kind of crazy, but I love it, is that the church that he walks out of is gigantic. Yeah. The church that he's standing outside of is fucking tiny. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, make yeah. any sense. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you got him. You got the, the goof. The goof. <laughs> I'm just, it's a um, goof. It's a goof. <laughs> it's a goof. Stephanie Seymour couldn't have been more perfect. Um, yeah, she's great. Love. I just love that band. I, I really like, I, I think that like the, 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 the waiting for Godot aspect of when are they going to come back? When is Axel going to come back? Is like, has been this like incredible 25 year, like, like mystery thing we've had. And, uh, and Axel's really one of our last great true rock stars. Can I also ask a question? Do you guys think there's an album of our generation anyway, that was more mythologized than Chinese democracy? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, like an one. album, there's one. Is it? Yeah, what there's is it? one. It's not our childhood, but there's only okay. one album that is as mythologized as that album, and it's Once mm-hmm. Upon a Time in Shaolin. Oh, oh wait, what's the, the story Wu- behind that? Yeah, that's the Wu Tang album they just oh, the put Wu-Tang out. The Wu Tang one that that fucking Shereki. Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. That they put out <laughs> one copy of and sold to that monster for like six million dollars. Yeah, and like no one is ever going to hear it, but it's a full fucking album like that is like to me that's the holy grail and i think they i think there's a deal where they can't they they can't put it they can't play it for like he can't play it for like but it's just like years. Yeah. the thing about chinese democracy was that it just it became the stuff of myth like people would talk about it in hushed tones like no one yeah. knew what was on it and and i love that of all the bands it's guns and roses like there's no way that that album could possibly meet the expectations like those guys aren't making us like the wall and it was or i mean i guess they kind of did with user illusion but and you know it, he's mean. recording it during the time where he's fired the entire band he's just like yeah. he's in like <laughs> pop culture jail for just being a a, a, a wife beating a monster, monster. <laughs> yeah. and just he goes through like 20 bucket heads at that point 
<laughs> I actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Hey, do you think there were more than one guy out in the bucket? Oh, okay. So there was there was only one bucket head. Do you know what he's talking about? There was one bucket head, but there was that role was. Wait, wait, you have to explain. You have to explain to Phil who Buckethead is. Oh, okay, Phil. So after Axel <laughs> takes over control, he flames out in like '93. <laughs> Um, disappears. I actually wrote about this for Vice too. I covered the estranged video and just talking about how it is the band is so toxic at that point and the video is so bloated and stupid and yet also reconciling oh, how cool so I think much. it is it's too. Yeah. yeah, there's something about it that hits your brain. But so Buckethead was one of many sort of like stand-ins for Slash that Axel hired over the years. It was a rotating oh. cast of people he would fire. He couldn't keep anybody around. He's it's just sort of it's just that 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 is not who Buckethead is, even though it is. Yeah, so but Buckethead like, wore a cape. You're, you're not there yet. Yeah, so by the early 21st century, <laughs> around 2010, they start playing shows, just playing old stuff. Buckethead literally has eyes cut out of a KFC bucket. That's his stick. He's like a bad Primus reject. It's, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. No, just Google him. You won't believe what this motherfucker looks. <laughs> yeah, like. I will. I but will. that was that. And you know, and Buckethead, by the way, was like, I'm not saying he was great, but like Buckethead was a credible rock guitarist. Like he was just, he was just a guy you got if you like needed a guitar. Yeah, it's worth googling. <laughs> I think Buckethead put out something deranged, like 80 solo albums. Something oh my god. Insane. I'm looking at Buckethead right uh, now. The KFC, he's amazing. Bucketheads Buckethead's like, actually kind of terrifying, guys. Nah, he's silly. Don't worry. Don't be scared of him. He's silly. He's a silly guy. <laughs> he's a silly guy. He's like, you know. Thanks, thanks, thanks for telling me not to be scared of him. All right, <laughs> moving on, Kenny. What's the next bands? Wait, wait, wait. All right, so, so Rich, you just have four? Um, I have four or five. I have one that's just a favorite band, and then four that I love, and also I, w- I wanted to push myself to be like, not just my five favorite American bands, but ones that I love, and also I think just had a sort of like, profound positive ripple effect in some ways too but my number five is just so selfish it's just pearl jam i'm obsessed i've seen them 54 times so (laughs) why that's your five i'm gonna say my my six is bruce we already talked about him yeah he's Um, my six too and my bruce and the east street band i think that's it's it's important to say like bruce and the east street band is different from like prince and the revolution prince plays every one of his fucking every one of his um his instruments. instruments like he writes every fucking part in in his music like mm-hmm. the revolution plays shit live but that's not really what prince is so prince doesn't count but bruce does because bruce is part of a band um my number five is uh the answer to this question pre-1990 uh it's the obvious answer they're just the the best american band before 1990 the only one that could stand up to the british bands it's the beach boys um, and they're, they're the, on my list. They're they're higher on my they're list. The only ones that actually put out an an incredible album that could stand up with the Beatles albums and the Stones albums and the Led Zeppelin albums. That's Pet Sounds, which is perfect beginning to end. And they also wrote the best song ever. God only knows. So they deserve a lot of credit. Um, and I love the Beach Boys, but I was always a little embarrassed that, that the Beach Boys were considered to be the best American band up until 1990. Um, thank God we're like we're like 30 years away from grunge and rock and everything since where we can actually like now canonize those guys mm-hmm. because this used to be something we used to ask when we were kids like what's the best american band i was like it's the fucking dead is the fucking eagles like jump off a building <laughs> so, um, uh, my my number five is nirvana 
I mean, they're great. I, I don't I I, I think that um, Nirvana. You know, it's funny. You just said we're thirty years away from them, and 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 I'm still not entirely convinced that we have the perspective yet on them. If that makes any sense, like I still think that um, there's something going on there that's still sort of shrouded in this MTV fucking '90s nonsense that allow that sort of prevents us from really digging into the the heart of that band. But um, that's, that's that's my true. five. What's your five, Rich? Five was was Pearl Jam. Was that was Pearl Jam? yeah? My five was PJ. Uh, what's your What's your four, Kenny? All right. What's my number four? My number four. Well, it's Nirvana. Uh, All right. I love Nirvana. Um, I love why well, I, I mean Nirvana, but I love uh, the way Ed Sullivan says Nirvana in the In Bloom video. Um, <laughs> so I always say Nirvana. It's Nirvana. Uh, I kind of agree with you phil but i do think that there is you know a lot i i do think that the the time away from it has given me perspective i think that um the last two albums they did or the last three including the unplugged are just fucking masterpieces like every yeah. song is amazing the first two are fine um i do think that actually brings them down like i think bleach and insecticide are fine fine yeah so they've got good songs they have good songs but i think they're fine and so i think we're talking about two unbelievable albums and uh and one incredible live album um so the the breadth is just not there but uh absolutely love the band very important to me uh my number four is the yeah yeahs whoa um, yeah 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 i like it uh i i fucking love them i i, I think that they're also a band that uh um doesn't want to stand still I don't really love Mosquito. I think it's kind of a bit of a mess. It's got a, but uh, those first three albums, the the breadth of what you see from Fever to Kill to, or sorry, Fever to Tell to, to It's Blitz. I, I just, uh, they're also like one of the best live bands. She's just the fucking coolest. What's like, the, what's just, the middle uh, album? Because it. I didn't realize there were, there was one in between those two. What's the. Show Your Bones. Oh, right, right. All right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, show Your Bones. That was a, that was a fantastic run. Uh, Rich, what's your number four? My number four isn't my favorite band, but it's a band I truly love and just undeniably just gets in your bones. And like my two-year-old nephew loves them too, the Ramones. There's just something about it. They have a ton of classic songs. Um, there's no one record I point at, like you got to hear this end to end, but it just occupies the space and it's the face of the whole thing. They're just ugly, weird guys from Queens can barely yeah. play with horrible yeah voices. and it just i mean horrible horrible speaking yeah just voices. grating in every way uh, they're the only uh people to ever look better when drawn on the simpsons than in real life <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's just you can't the kkk took my baby away just so many of those just and just the bands that they birth they're like get a guitar and go do this and yep. an incredible thing yeah, that you know, little Stevie's uh, garage is born uh, born of the idea that the Ramones started American garage or American music out of their garage, and everything good came from the Ramones, including you know the E Street Band. Um, yeah, I think the Ramones are dope. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're great. What, uh, who's your three, Kenny? My three. Uh, Rich already mentioned them. Pearl Jam. Um, 
I have also seen them so many times. Um, they're probably the great American band. It just kind of is what it is. Like they're probably the great American band. I made the, the joke about them being Billy Joel, but that, that is, I love Billy Joel too. That's not really meant to be a lot, a knock. It's more meant to say that they are now so woven into the fabric of America and into right. the fabric of like radio and pop culture where, you know, Eddie Vedder, like, yes, he still is, you know, to some extent like a revolutionary, but like he also, you know, he also is like a basketball fan and doing the soundtrack for Into the Wild. And he's just, he's just part of us now. And the way Bruce is part of us now, I think, um, I think their, I think, I think their range is incredible. I think yeah. their musicality is incredible. I think their hooks are fantastic. I think their messages are great. Um, rage, yeah, rage, rage has always spoken to me. When rage, and the weird thing when when around two thousand, because rage never really went away. Around ninety nine, two thousand, but rage went from being a band that I loved and my friends loved and people loved to all of a sudden realizing, oh no no, everybody feels this way about them, like everybody is crazy about this band so uh yeah and and pointedly they're above nirvana for me um and i do think that they are one a better band two a more important band and three like true to their ideals and i will well they, they've also got a i mean they they've got a 20 years on yes they have four times their output is the is, length of life yes it's yeah. true but uh i'll never drop how nirvana talked the talk but mm-hmm. pearl jam walked the walk yeah so. i agree um i think too my number three oh, just, sorry go ahead just, go, go just ahead, speak to pearl jam and i won't go nuts on this i promise <laughs> but just like i agree with everything you said and then also too there's just something about the fact that like huge rock band and again like on message with everything rage is doing and all that but also just like mental health and their approach to these conversations that you get a lot of out of Nirvana, some lyrically, poetically, and some in interviews, but especially I feel like Pearl Jam is just like, as far as like depression and working through it, they were doing a thing that made it okay for little boys to own that part of themselves, which is on top of just being so ripping and Jesus, Kenny, after this, I can't wait to email you all the New York shows I went to and just make sure you're at all of them too. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, just like especially on top of the fact that like just five perfect records, then a couple of good ones that it gets spotty. But just like, what a fucking band! Yeah. Uh, what are we on three for Richard? Phil's three, three, I believe. Yeah, it's my number three. Uh, I, I, mine is the Beach Boys. We talked about the Beach Boys already. There's not much more to say other than I'll just say this: the Beach Boys. Um, was a band that um, there are a couple bands that I was introduced to by my parents that, you know, we're all kind of introduced by, to by our parents to some degree or another. Um, but uh, California is a, what, the, what the, is the, 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 the summer one with them on the cover with the beach. It doesn't matter. Anyway, long story short, there's an album of theirs that my mom played. The, the beach boy constantly. summer album. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and it just, I, I I don't know. It's one of those things where there's just a positive association with how happy it made my mom. Like that this band, which is just 
truly like joy personified, right? Like it's just how how do we make it feel good and everything's going to Iron- be fine. Ironically, because no ironically, one has yeah. ever been more like depressed. No one has ever then, been more taken course, by depression than Brian Wilson. Of course, of course. But no, that's 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 it, it's interesting. Yeah. Like it's yeah, like like creating is one of the best ways to combat depression. Hundred percent for so, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of externalizing and a lot of figuring out your ways through it, and and obviously he did to a certain degree through his music. But um, yeah, it's just that the association that I have with the band is just so positive, and I can only assume that that was infectious to so many people. Like it's just you know another band, Pearl Jam. I mean, they were my first concert. I'm sorry, Beach Boys were my first concert. Another band that didn't exist in the 90s um they were a joke band they were a novelty band they were on full house and they put out kokomo (laughs) and um (laughs) i was i was embarrassed for 15 years that the beach boys were my first concert now i you know now now i feel great but um yeah yeah Rich, you have a uh, number three? Yeah, what's your three, Rich? My number three. Okay, I am also a huge Nirvana fan for all the reasons you guys cited. And yet, they are not on my top five list as far as what I think, for my money, just the funnest or just exactly what my sort of, what does it for me about rock and roll, um, the Pixies. Nice. Sure. I think sure. they have a couple perfect records. I think they just invented the sort of loud, quiet thing and also perfected it pretty early on. Yeah. Some of the songs, I mean, just I feel like in pop culture, the biggest ball dropped in the 90s was not giving Where Is My Mind a music video. Like they had to make Fight Club to give Where Is My Mind the, yeah. the, the video it deserved. Yeah, It is yeah. just it should be the biggest song of all time. I love yeah. the Pixies. But as a kid growing up in New York, I didn't know they existed. Same. I only heard about them really? in Cobain interviews. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a Pixies record until them and Sonic Youth. I didn't know they were. I didn't. I only knew about those two bands through Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I Sonic Youth. I guess they had MTV videos. I was. I had a record in like '94, but even so, it was like there are these bands that are the cool guys think are cool. Yeah. And Pixies, I had no access to until college. Yeah. The, my access to, the, or at least my introduction to the Pixies was, um, I used to go to this uh, to this. I guess it. I guess you would say it was a club night, even though like I didn't really go to clubs. But they would they would constantly play uh, "Here Comes My Man." Like that was just oh, a song so that was like it's fucking great. Um, but it's like it's a song that people could dance to. It's it's a you know it's a pretty poppy song. Uh, it's kind of an outlier on that album <laughs> in the sense that like it doesn't have some sort of like vicious guitars going on in it. Um, but that was sort of my entry point. And then I, I bought Doolittle uh, there. But yeah, I mean, great band. Yep. What's your two, Kenny? Well, I'm tempted to add one more band to the list of bands that we're not saying that I think uh, some people would say, which is Weezer. Um, I think that at least when I went to college, there was a pretty large subset of music dorks who just thought Weezer was the coolest thing of all time. And he also, Rivers also has that Tom Morello thing where like, smart guy, right? The guy went to Harvard. So there was another element where we're like, this is, all right, if you're a real smart guy, you're not into rage maybe you'll be into weezer so you know weezer's its own thing and maybe we can even talk about them in a future episode because they're endlessly fascinating to me what what has yeah they what has happened with that band he goes to he goes to harvard between the blue album and pinkerton um but 
Yeah, Weezer's one of those bands. They might be the quintessential band that I look at and say, maybe you should have just stopped after Pinkerton. Like, had they just had those two albums, they might have gone down in music history. But then they didn't. (laughs) And here we are. So I don't know. I mean, There is an Adam Sandler quality to what they're doing now. That I can't quite put my finger on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this little Nikki shit you guys are putting out there. Do not cover there, Africa. There's something that is true. <laughs> um, okay, so we're on yeah. number two. Number two. All right. I'm going to give away number one because we've talked about them. They're Rage Against the Machine. It's the greatest American band. Um, number two. They're eight. not on my list. That's okay. Because I don't know them well enough and I'd feel like a poser if I put them on there. Number two is my personal favorite band the white stripes my personal favorite so deeply obsessed with them for the last 20 years um obsessed with jack white but more so what he did with meg obsessed with their dynamic obsessed with how every song is about meg obsessed with things like you know you you mentioned the kkk stole my baby the big three stole my baby is a direct you know kind of take on that for the ramones like the the way that they have been able to the way that they've been able to ingest all of rock music and put it into a guitar or a piano and a drummer and Jack's vocals or occasionally Meg's vocals and make it so evocative um, and catchy and and uh, exciting and sad and wonderful and their covers were perfect. Um the only band I might be as excited to do an episode on is the White Stripes. But uh, they are my personal we favorite. Have a, they have a 99 album. They do. So we can do it. And then they made my list. Um, they are my, yeah, yes. They, uh, they are my personal favorite band. They're not the best. I, I will say this. Um, I'm, uh, I feel stupid that they're not on my list. I don't know how I didn't realize that. I just didn't put two and two together. For whatever reason, I did some research and it, and I didn't see them and they should be on my list. They'd absolutely be on my, my top seven or eight bands for sure. Um, you know, they're another band that also, to, to their credit, similar to the AAS and similar to a lot of bands, didn't want to stand still, right? That he kept putting some sort of a new limitation on the way that they constructed yeah. or that he constructed music for each album, um, which makes each album feel special in its own way um, and groundbreaking in its own way for that band. Um, you know, they're, they're endlessly fascinating. The brother sister thing is, is absurd and wonderful. Um, it's, it's just, you know, I don't think that Jack White has done anything since that's as compelling or interesting. Not as compelling, um, he, but still he does really, good stuff, really good but like, shit. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean to, you know, dismiss it, but like it's, it's the white stripes felt like, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like the white stripes are lightning in a bottle. Like I think the, I think, um, you know, uh, fuck is the band broken boy soldiers what's the, what's the band he did right oh uh, rock on tours rock on tours i think they're good i think the kills are good like i think like it's good yeah. shit but um it's not the same even his solo stuff it's good too his solo stuff is great lazaretto's great yeah. but it's yeah. just not yeah. the same I, I will say sorry rich uh, just one quick thing i do think that um when you think about, I mean, I know there's a book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, and when you think about that New York scene post 9-11, you know, your, your Strokes, your AAS, LCD sound system, uh, I mean, White Stripes obviously weren't out of New York, but, you know, they were obviously a very prominent American band at the time. Um, to your point, Kenny, you know, the mixture of grunge and this sort of indie music scene that comes out of New York and various other places, it, it really is 
um, it allows us to have this conversation because otherwise we're still talking about the fucking Grateful Dead. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I got I got my Alison Moss heart mixed up. I meant Dead Weather, <laughs> not the Kills, but. That was her other band. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think it was good too. As far as all the other bands we're talking about too, if we're just to take like what is a pitch perfect end to end pop record? Um, just what is as catchy as possible? Uh, if we were doing albums, White Blood Cells is absolutely in the top five for me. There's just something about it where it's like like the blue album yes. or Nevermind or whatever. It's just like something magic happened here. The moment it starts, it's undeniable. Yeah. Um, my number were two. My number two it's, is one, Pearl Jam. one last thing on the White Stripes, which is just fucking madness to me. <laughs> Seven Nation Army is like the biggest yeah. song of the last twenty years. That's madness to me. It's great. But it is. It's Seven Nation Army is like fucking satisfaction, which is insane. You know what it is too is every parent I know who has kids around like eight or 10 or 11, or like I, I volunteer for a camp that teaches kids instruments too. And some of them come in having had lessons. The first thing you learn on every instrument is seven nation army. Bum, ba-dum, bum, if you're playing yeah, on the drums it's or the, easy. yep, it's just like, that's what it is in the culture. Now it is the first thing you learn. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I also, th- I, I'll say this too. Um, I remember when, uh, Oh fuck! What's the name of the album with Dead Leaves the, on the White Dirty Ground? Um, White Blood Cells. That album comes out, and I bought that album, and I was like, "This is fucking great." But then Elephant was like a fucking like that was a. a I just remember people talking about that album within the weeks that it came out as this is the masterpiece. This is a defining fucking album, and it. I mean, it's a perfect album. There isn't a bad song on that album, um, and and some might argue that that's their apex. I don't know. Some people, I don't. Whatever. They're, but like, it's amazing. They they did the thing that radio did in the Radiohead did in the beginning, which is Radiohead. What Radiohead's first album was was mm-hmm. Pablo Honey, or was it Pablo, Pablo Honey. Honey, The Bends, Paranoid Android, and then the Kid A, Amnesiac thing. Where okay, a, computer. But yeah, sorry, Kid A. Okay, computer. Wait, wait. Paranoid Android you, is not you called, called Paranoid, Paranoid Android, Android is called yeah. the kid computer. Got it. Yes, yes. Every subsequent album had a higher and higher bar, and yes. they managed to exceed it every time. I don't know if you think Amnesiac did. I do. I thought Amnesiac's the fucking greatest. But like those first four, you're just like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. This is shit I've yeah. never heard before. Particularly yeah. Kid A, which I think is an impossible achievement after OK yeah. Computer. And that yeah. happened with with Elephant, because White Blood Cells was so hot, but so out of nowhere for the mainstream audience. Yes, yes, Elephant was yes. amazing. Icky Thump was the next one, right? Or was it Get Behind Me Satan? I can't I remember. Think Blue, Blue, I think it's Get Behind Me Satan. Get Behind Me Satan sure. and then Icky Thump. And these things were incredible. I'm too excited. Sorry. <laughs> too excited. Never apologize for that. Uh, all right. All right. So my number two uh, is Pearl Jam. We've talked about it a bunch. But I, I just want to, for my two cents worth on the band, um, you know, I, I think that, I think Vitology is fucking incredible. Um, I think that they're a band that can that can make a song like Spin the Black Circle and put Better Man on on the same album. Like that that to me is those are the two sides of Pearl Jam, and that's unbelievable. And I not a lot of bands have the gears that they have, um, and and show the, the 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 things that they can do within the within one album. Um, I would argue that that's why Nirvana, which 
you know, didn't get to do what perhaps they might have been able to do. Who knows? But they kind of felt like they had one lane. And Pearl Jam started off feeling that way, I think, to a lot of people. And then quickly with Versus and Vitology showed everyone like, no, 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 no. There's a whole bunch of shit that we can There's do. There's so many lanes um, to 10, but, but, but I hear you. Yeah. You're, that um, was your two? That was my two. Got it. What's your two, Rich? I just fucking, it just means so much for me to be around such enormous Pearl Jam fans. This is the best morning of my <laughs> quarantine. Thank you so much for this experience. Uh, if you guys want to take an hour break and just do 10 more episodes later today about all these bands, I'm happy to. Um, okay, so my number two um, is definitely Rage Against the Machine. And also, part of that is just that like I wanted to also have some hip-hop on here. I feel like that's, besides the BC Boys, as far as like ones that were just transformative for me. I love Wu-Tang, but it's just, it just doesn't get to that place for me. But, I mean, Rage, just, just to look at what they accomplished and the way they did it and just how there's nothing like it and it just doesn't age. It's just, this, it's timeless in a way that it feels weird to say. Um, yeah, it's just an incredible achievement and just like, yeah, four people get in a room and it's just a rocket. Love so, it. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, the, one what's your ones, one, Kenny? I said my one already, right. so I'm going to use my okay. time differently. Uh, <laughs> some, some other bands that we made my honorable mention. I'm pretty sure I know what Phil is. I'm, well, but hold on. Are you going to mention my number one and take the piss out of it? I'm going to skip it. I know what it is. <laughs> I'm going to skip it. I, re- I really resent the way you're doing this today. It I just won't be. All right. I'll tell you're, you the band. Like, I'm going to use my time differently and, and bogart all the fucking fine, names fine. of bands. It's not the Beastie Boys, right? <laughs> no. Okay. I won't say any other names. I will talk about the Beastie Boys very quickly because the Beastie okay. Boys – uh, would be on a list that was a little different. But the BC okay. Boys, for okay. the most part, uh, were not playing their instruments like a band. And I felt like that was what that was where I was trying to draw the line. Now I know okay. like um like check your like 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 uh like wait wait it, it was ill communication license deal where they played all their instruments. Check your head and ill communication, and then a little bit later. So they've on too. so they've done it, so they've done it, but it doesn't feel like exactly what we're going for. Because if you do start to get into hip hop, that's where America kicks ass, and that doesn't really get at what I'm getting at here, which is that this is an art form that, for the most part, we're not the best in the world at, right? So if you start talking about rap collectives, like there isn't a rap, there isn't an international rap collective that holds a candle to Wu Tang. Or holds a candle to Public Enemy, or holds a candle to NWA, or holds a candle to like fucking, you know, fucking Rough Riders. So like, it's like you just don't even come close, you know, like serious, <laughs> like, like young mom, like young money, like nothing, like you just don't even come close. So all I'm trying to say is the Beastie Boys, formative, incredible American band, um, very important, will not make my list. <laughs> I will say, in keeping with the, the theme of this whole episode, too, why I think they're such a compelling band in the same conversation as Rage, and not just because they are a fusion of hip-hop and rock influences, but also I think they did what Rage did in a subtle way, but I really think it's undeniable. They were such an incredible role model for boys. You watch them publicly go from the misogynist yeah. homophobia of the 80s and just like beers and fucking and all that, and then in the 90s, yeah. they're suddenly just like, they just are reborn and they're like, we're the three coolest guys you've ever seen on top of the fact that like, 
respect girls. Don't grab boobs. Listen, here's what Buddhism is. Here's how, if you just get a camera or a guitar and make stuff with your friends, it's just the sweetest, coolest, highest calling. There's a, they did an amazing thing just by modeling that behavior too, on top I of having completely. incredible music. I, I, and to, to, to piggyback on that, I watched the, the Spike Jones uh, Apple TV documentary that he did, which was, which was fantastic. Um, and there was a moment in it that I love, and I'm paraphrasing it, so forgive me, but there's a moment when um, one of them, and forgive me, I don't know their names, uh, someone confronted him on the, on the street about you know his choices and what have you. And he says something along the lines of, I'd rather be a hypocrite and evolve and change my opinions on things than be, you know, than not be a hypocrite and be a fucking asshole. Like this idea of, and, and this is, and, and not to, not to dive back into politics, but this is one of the things that drives me fucking crazy about politics, which is that you're not allowed to change your stance on things without seeming like a hypocrite as though a human being can't evolve or change or their views can't change. Now, admittedly that's in politics, generally speaking, it's because, they feel like they can get away with it now. But my, my point still stands, which Particularly is... Particularly when the you fact go from we, bad to good. You know? like Sure. The fact I, and that I, people and are I afraid get, to go from bad to good <laughs> is kind of like the thing that, that's that what really I'm, bothers yeah, me. Like, yeah. We should be like, who gives a fuck if you, if you felt one way five minutes ago, but then had a conversation with a the person, they turn you around on something? That's what this Isn't podcast is about, thing? right, Phil? Isn't that what... That's what the exactly like. Isn't that what the fucking human condition is about? Like changing and talking and having fucking thoughts. I, I, I just don't. Yeah, it's like you're weak. Anyway. You're weak if you actually have a conversation where the person changes your mind. Right. Why are you even having conversations if your goal <laughs> yeah. isn't to influence if, people? And then you actually do influence people, and that person's weak. Or the other way around. Well, I mean, What's I change my mind all the time. I change my mind all the time. Exactly. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weak person. i change my mind i do too like if you say something to me that is convincing and changes my perspective on something you've made me a better person done it before thank you for doing that anyway who so my number one we're missing someone's number one (laughs) i know exactly i know exactly who phil's number one is that's why i didn't blow it because i'm I'm a great friend hit it wow uh my number one's rem yeah um which which i think is you know, they're one of those bands that also feels like an evolution from an indie band to a fucking arena band to ultimately, you know, hanging up their spurs, uh, losing their drummer, continuing to do what they're doing. Um, I also just think that 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 there are a couple of their albums specifically automatic for the people that was so like so influential to me like it's one of those transportive albums where when i put it on it takes me back to 1994 i think when it came out um i just i i I love the sort of the poetic lyricism of 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 michael stave's lyrics i just i just think that they're one of those bands that kind of got their due but was always in the conversation it felt like with you two like it always felt like those were the two bands that were kind of like going up against each other and you two just seemed to get a little more love it felt like than rem did um and yeah i don't know i feel like they kind of they did really groundbreaking stuff for themselves obviously michael stipe is a huge humanitarian and produced like being john malkovich and ghost world and like he's the fucking man like also one of the first i just think there's rock stars you know like out and proud from more or less the beginning so i think that was really important too 
it's just there's there, there's just a lot there. They're one of those bands that just similar to Pearl Jam, where like a deep discography that you could literally spend you know decades podcasting about if you wanted to. Um, and they're also like they're good guys, and their music is it makes you feel good. Uh, I'm not a big fan of shiny happy people, but some people really love it. Like I don't know, I think nah, they're great. no one likes that. REM is great. Um, that was I don't almost, have much to say about REM. It was almost my number five as well. Had I not gone with the personal pick of PJ, because for all those reasons, and just also it's a band you forget how good they are until you put the record on, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is flawless. Yeah. They too. kind of were a pioneer of college rock radio and alternative music. Yeah, yeah. a queer kid in Athens, Georgia, fronting a band Georgia, in like, Eyeshadow. Yeah, they really yeah. were the they really were uh, college rock in the late '80s, um, leading to the early '90s. They were they he were also. Sorry, I, I was going to say is they that, were they were just the success yeah. story that came out of that that moment. Um, there were others, obviously, but nothing like REM. I, I also think that you know it's interesting because when you when you read interviews with like Tom York, for instance, um, he talks a lot about how much of a mentor Michael Stipe was to like other front people of bands. How close he was with Kurt Cobain. How close he was with these people trying to help them navigate um, fame. You know, Tom York gives him a tremendous amount of credit for finding ways through choppy waters that he really was not, you know, able to handle particularly well. So I, I just think it's, I think it's all very interesting. He really was sort of this like God figure in American music, um, which I think is, is really interesting. What's your number one, Rich? Um, honestly, what a perfect segue, but just sort of the statesmanness of it and just the way that you can even just bring up those other generations, not only inspired by how you do it, but also just have those actual conversations. And because Neil Young is Canadian and thus eliminated, but he very much had that role too. But 100%, I think for my money, that's why, aside from the Jersey thing, Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, just uh, a working class kid, put it together and just, has all those values, inspires all those bands, um, just was always right, even when the years that he was wrong or just like he knew yeah. enough to just fade out when he's like, this is not my moment. And he knew enough when he's like, what I do, I can, wherever you are on the political spectrum, you will hear my song and be like, yeah, that is fucked up that they treat him that way. And also the whole barbecues dancing. <laughs> That is special. And just the way that like you see that band and it's also tied to like the sort of like chubby checker error too, where it's like you watch them perform and they just literally at times get into formation. Like they're the fucking Avengers and you're like, it yeah. works. This guy puts on a four I hour sermon. It's incredible. I love Bruce. I think Bruce is an incredible American. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, like the best we have to offer. Uh, have you guys seen ways. him live? Have both seen of you live, seen like him live? It's special. Yeah. yeah. Maybe about 10 times. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I've only seen him once, and it, it, I got goosebumps the second it started. I was like, he's crowd surfing at like 60 yeah. years yeah. old. Yeah, and like a thing yeah. that we all value is that he – you can walk in cynical. You will not leave cynical. You I will work that. his no. ass off to no. your end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tremendous. Yeah, we tremendous. basically hit all the, ma the major bands. I mean the only one, other yeah. ones that like we didn't hit that – I mean there's some bands I hate that we – you know that people would say like <laughs> I hate Van Halen. I think there are the people who would say that. Yeah. I hate yeah, Kiss. Yeah. I think people would say them. I, you know how much I hate Kiss, Phil. We did Detroit Rock City. I do. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I, Detroit Rock thing, City. What a one band that was the first one that came to my mind that didn't make my list, but the first one to pop in was the band, um, and would have made a longer list. Um, Simon and Garfunkel. Is it a band? Is it? Is it not? You know, 
I mean, I did do the. I, I looked at them too, and I, I couldn't. I couldn't really. I didn't think it made sense. And then the other one that doesn't really count, but they're the best, is Fleetwood Mac. Thought about them. Um, just the best. I do. I just realized that there's. I, I, I want. I want to put one. I, I need to mention one band, and I'm not sure that I would put them on this list yet. I don't know because they still feel a little bit too new. I, I fucking love the Decemberists. Um, they're one of my favorite bands I right now. Too. I do too. Uh, but because of, yeah, I just, there's a part of it. It's like, they've only existed for like basically a decade. It's I, just, it feels a little bit like. I walked down the so, aisle. But, but they're a great American song. band. Which song? Crane Wife 3. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But Laura walked down to the coolest song of all time. I'll end the podcast telling you how cool my fucking wife is. <laughs> she walked down to Crimson and Clover. Oh, that's great. That's oh, fucking that's classy. Yeah. Yeah, like how like epic is that? And she came up with it, so she's the best. I came down to the crane wife. At least Phil respects it. Uh, I do, I do very much so. Uh, I have a friend who came down to God only knows. Hunter Covington, past and future guest, walked down to the Game of Thrones theme. Nice. So there you go. Yeah. Um, All right. So (laughs) it was a joke. Uh, I, I know he's he making a mockery serious. of his way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. he, he didn't get married. Would you until, expect anything less from Hunter Covington? Hey, he didn't get married until after Game of Thrones. Yeah. Wow. They got married like. Yeah. Do yeah. do 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 do. It's cool. I like it. I would. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, so next week we have uh, Bart Nickerson coming on uh, for Mystery Alaska. Have you seen that I movie, am- Rich? I'm familiar, but I will watch it because I can't wait to hear you guys talk about it with him. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a hockey movie um, starring Russell Crowe and a bunch of other people, um, and it's written by David E. Kelly and directed by Jay Roach. I'm super excited to talk about it because I never get to talk about hockey, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about hockey. Uh, and I haven't seen the movie in I, I don't think I I don't honestly think I've ever seen it, but I'm excited to talk about hockey with Bart um, and David E. Kelly with Bart. And uh, so that's what's happening next week. Me too. But Rich, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This is an absolute pleasure. Your show's great, and this is just the funnest conversation. Thank you so, so, so much for thinking of me and letting me have the honor of talking about Rage with you guys. It was. I, I couldn't think of anyone else. Uh, it's. It's the. You're the best person to talk about it. Uh, your enthusiasm. You and Kenny's enthusiasm. We could solve the energy crisis. Oh, um, so much. It was fun. tremendous. Uh, it was everything I could have hoped for. Um, and please come back for, for something else. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally. Thank you. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.